Es ist Jael Osavski und du hörst Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast. On this episode of the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast, you better watch out what you bring into the church potluck. We talk about a tune, can you hear it? And our special guest, Yael Osowski. All that and more on this episode of the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast, where it's two guys take on life, liberty, and the pursuit of gravy. And you, the listener, are getting a degree in common sense. We are broadcasting from the Busted Knuckle Studio right here in beautiful downtown historic Concord, North Carolina. I'd be your host, Biggin, and how about you? We've got a great show lined up for you, as always. But before we begin, let me introduce you to the second half of this flaky biscuit, That's right, I am talking about the pride of Anderson, South Carolina, 2016's honorable mention, World Cup champion of the world, the inventor of the redneck egg roll. Give it up on old mic number one, it's Mojo! Warning. Warning, warning, warning. This show may contain topics that may be offensive to some listeners. Ooh. <laughs> like the truth. So anyway, hey, thanks, well done. <laughs> thanks for uh, tuning in as always. You can find us on the southernfriedphilosophy.com website. You can also find us at the Twitters and Instagram at SFP Radio. Also our Facebook page is Southern Fried Philosophy. Please go to Google Play, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, anywhere pretty much that you listen to a podcast, mm-hmm. just put Southern Fry Philosophy in. Uh, you can find us there. Um, just subscribe, like, give us a heart, thumbs up, emoji, whatever whatever thing they whatever use. You can uh, do. Make do sure it. that you save us. That way you can get our fresh downloads every Monday morning. Uh, just do that. Please put the review, especially on iTunes. I don't know why uh, Steve Jobs and what's his name, uh, who just brought the money back from overseas, the CEO, and now yeah. they have a problem. But anyway, they, they like the reviews mm-hmm. to help move us up in the old podcast algorithm. So if you could conspiracy. just drop us a review there. <laughs> Give us a review there. Mm-hmm. Uh, preferably five sp- five stars. But, you know, four will do. Um, no less than that. Otherwise, we're going to have to disown you uh, oh, from our Christmas yeah. card list. But That's yeah, it. we appreciate you tuning in and in every week as always. And you can also check out and support the show at our Patreon link. You can Find that on our website, uh, SFP Radio, or patreon.com forward slash SFP Radio. We want to say shout out to Yael Osowski, who is our latest Patreon subscriber. Not only did he subscribe, but now he is our latest guest tonight on the show. That's such a cool story. That's one thing I love about our podcast is we're not... we don't have to have a necessarily a specific topic. We don't have to have or a necess- specific, either specific, way, specific. Uh, we don't have to have a necessarily kind of kind of like an agenda. We enjoy people's stories, mm-hmm. and um, Yael reached out through uh, to us through um, Patreon mm-hmm. messages, messaged us, and said, "Hey, we'd like to, you know, I'd love to be a guest on, or would you love to have me on?" And we kind of did a little research on. It. I was like, "Man, yeah, this guy's got a pretty Definitely. pretty incredible story." I mean, at least I think it is. Yeah. Some other people may think it's boring, but if that's you, then um, you can just keep on that headset on and keep asking people if they want fries with their order. Oh, so. <laughs> no, nah, but seriously, I Send think your emails to Mojo at <laughs> bring, Radio. Bring them on, bring them on. Hey, I did have a, <laughs> I did have a threatening uh, threatening message on Facebook. I'll share with you later, maybe <laughs> because but, of us. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. Something, something else. Come so, on with it. Anyway, um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> I'm just glad to have them on. And uh, so, yeah, Patreon, it does pay mm-hmm. off. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Uh, we are trying to upgrade some things on our, our show. So, uh, you know, every bit helps. So we would really appreciate that. We, um, we've we got some some great stuff lined up. Going mobile is the next option. So we, we need your help. So subscribe to the you know, just a few dollars or the life, liberty or gravy. That would be awesome. We want to say shout out to our new listeners from Huawei, Rahway, New Jersey. I guess that's how you say it. Maybe they have a weird accent. This is it, but a raw way, New Jersey. Uh, uh, we're going to need a special guest panel vote on how to say that. Oh, that'd be good. All right. Yeah, that was in studio, so. How do you say raw way. Ooh, there it is. Uh, that's the official SFP saying. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, if you are a Patreon subscriber, you can name whatever city, however you want to pronounce it. Jazzy. <laughs> Jefferson City, Missouri, and Lake Zurich, Illinois. You know who you are. I appreciate sounds so that. so fancy. I mean, it's And then you look nice. at Illinois. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful spot. I'm sure it is. So how about it? Uh, our upcoming guest next week, you may remember a long time ago, there was a young gentleman that used to uh, co-host our show while I was in India. Right. Uh, Jeremy Congdon. He moved away, never to be heard from again. And all of a sudden, he's popped back up. And he's going to be back on the show next Those week. Those pictures on milk cartons do pay off. We finally found him. Yeah. And we gave the reward of 52 cents. We did it. We did an Amber Alert tag number, everything. I come to find out it's his wife's car, but uh, oh, they did locate him. Yeah. She was, she was not happy about that. No, she was. Sorry, Liz. Uh, so anyway, so he'll be on the show next week. Uh, Mojo, I'm going to ask you like I ask you every week. How you be darn? I'm doing great. It's hot, but then I remember we have like 17, 18 weeks left, and then we'll be cold. So I'm I'm okay with the hot. I, mm, I'm, I'm I know you don't like the hot. Yes, no, we've talked about yeah. that. So well, good for you. I enjoy the riding season. There you go. Mainly for people buying motorcycles. They, okay, <laughs> so there's a financial reason for that. Okay, all right. Totally selfish. <laughs> That's all right. As Rush Limbaugh calls it, the obscene profit center of, of my life is the motorcycle business. So, okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. How you be doing? Uh, I'm good. We had a an issue. If you don't remember, we've got an old historic house at the at we own an old historic house that has a cabin in the back. This cabin, I'm pretty sure at any point the big bad wolf will come and huff and puff and literally blow it down. We got to we got to give kind of a little bit more descriptor for our new listeners. So we he has this house built around turn of the century, right? Eighteen twelve, they say. Yeah, so it's brick, which is mm-hmm. kind of odd. Turn of the century. Um, and then you have this like log cabin, literal log literal, cabin in his backyard. Right. That was built, they said around 1890. By quote, they sold it as the Boy Scouts uh, built it. There were no Boy Scouts in 1890. So we may kind of know. Well, guess what, that. what? It's 2019. There's no right. Boy Scouts anymore either. So, I mean, <laughs> well played, sir. You know, the circle of life comes around. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. So anyway, it's a, it's a very old log cabin. Uh, and our friend Hussein, who's been on the show has, uh, is living there. He texted me and said, Hey, by the way, there's no more hot water. Oh, sounds like a personal problem. Hussein. He, he said, it's okay. I like taking cold showers <laughs> quote, because I'm from the desert and we normally don't get cold water, uh, water. Uh, that was a him. So don't send your emails. Uh, and then, so I panic and I start, you know, texting people that I know, like, how do you, how do I, how do I know if it's the hot water heater? I'm a moron. Let's be very clear. I don't know how to do this stuff. So, uh, Kurt texted me is our our friend, Kurt, the plumber, Kurt, the plumber, uh, texted and said, Hey, is the pilot light on? 
I don't know. I didn't know there was an actual pilot in the thing. I don't, so I don't know. Um, so I go down with a lighter mm. and say, hey, I'm going to try this adventure. I, I get down on the mud, you know, because it's a muddy nastiness by the cabin. There's There are small woodland creatures that are buzzing by my head that mm. I don't know what they are. Pretty confident I saw a chupacabra. Not going on record for that. Um, but, um, Hold on. That's, uh, that's Coast to Coast calling for an interview tonight with you. So This thing was 10 foot tall. He had beautiful hair. I'm pretty sure that's what I saw. There was multiple, uh, you know, I think an eagle came down to attack. There was all kinds of wildlife that was there coming from under, by the way, the house, <laughs> which is not a good thing. Um, as long as I didn't see a snake, I'm all right. Cause I, uh, so, but I had my trusty lighter that would not start a thing. So I'm sitting there in the mud, sweating like a champ, trying to read the directions on a water heater. Mm-hmm. My wife's screaming from the top uh, about a mile away. Don't blow yourself up. And Hussein, please don't blow anybody up. Yeah. And she's, I mean, imagine the pressure you're trying. I don't know how to do this stuff. And uh, so luckily the government has put enough safety regulations on a water heater that I did not blow myself up. And I was able to. I, I, was about, I thought, I thought the moral of the story was that you're going to tell us I was an electric hot water heater. Oh, that would have been even better. Yeah. But I knew at least it was gas. Right, I tried well, to light it by farting, but that didn't work. No, that's so just I, putting more gas on top of you. Right. I was hoping it would maybe waft in and uh, then light it. That didn't quite work. Yeah. We tried many things, but at it least, was at least it's done. It is done. Then he's like, it's not hot enough. I'm like, oh, crap. So I had to go back and adjust it. Now he's got four four degree burns on his body because I <laughs> he's turned that to the local burn away. center. Sorry, yeah. Hussein. So anyway, so that was my adventure for the, for the week. I'm, you know, one of those things. And it's only Wednesday. <laughs> By the way, it was Monday at that point, and I was like, I quit life. Um, all right, so let's go to some wacky news brought to you by Webmerized. If you need a clean, crisp website, check out our friends at Webmerized.com. That is Webmerized.com. Um, Mojo, I'm going to need you to be a little bit more careful next time you go to the church bake sale. Uh, the grandfather accidentally brings a cannabis-laced cake to a hospital as a thank you to nurses. Uh, how do you how, how do you bring an accidentally bring one? Let me tell you how. A grandfather in the UK accidentally brought a cake laced with marijuana, also known as the devil's lettuce, um, to as a thank you gift for nurses at the hospital. Uh, it happened on May 27th. Uh, in the statement, uh, he said that he picked up the half-eaten birthday cake from his grandson's 18th birthday party and decided he's going to be a nice guy and give it to the nurses at the hospital. Well, one of them partook of said cake. They said that nobody was hurt because of it, but now they're having to inspect all the food that gets brought in. Mm. But they said that they could taste, smell, you know, the the cannabis that was in said cake. I don't know if that's true or not, but... It depends how it's rendered down, but yeah. I mean, could you imagine if people got a hold of that one? Yeah, because it's so bad for you. I mean... The yeah. cake? Well, the cannabis. Oh. So bad for you. But, I mean, if you're high as a kite and you're a nurse at a hospital, I'm just... Number one, I don't think... If, if you not to, be a, not to be a story killer here, but, you know, rendered down... Uh, when, they, when they take marijuana or cannabis mm-hmm. and render down in a butter and make cake out of it, 
Yeah, you get a little, you get a little high. It depends on how, but you're not going to be baked out of your mind where. Um, oh, is that, you're gonna that start, not the yeah, case? No, you start seeing purple elephants dancing with oh. you know, mermaids or anything like that. I thought that was the case. No, no. no. Oh man! See, we, see, you've never partaken upon. Um, no. So we're gonna have to experiment with that. No. I, yes, no, I'm not. I'm I, not. In fact. Hold on. I'm going to get some cannabis lace cake, and I'm going to give it to you. You're not going to know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> it was cut in the form of a red velvet cake. Ooh, my favorite. I mean, I don't know. Ooh. I, I would think that would be very scary. I am su- I'm a sucker for red velvet cake. But now, here's here's where I'm thinking. What if you are at the church bake sale now or the, the potluck dinner at church? Well, I think there's a I think there's a country song. It's called uh, "Cannabis Makes Grandma's Clothes Fall Off." Oh, <laughs> Maybe not. Followed by "We Need Trash Cans at the New Potluck." <laughs> um, golly, that that to me freaks me out a little bit. I don't know, I don't know about you, but I guess I guess you're fine with it. Do you know it takes a customer three seconds to decide whether to stay or leave your website? That's why a crisp, clean, and user friendly website is one of the best ways to market and help and grow your business. At Webmerized Web Design, we offer that and much more. They pride themselves in offering their clients professional websites at affordable prices. Are you a small business? No problem. We can cater to small businesses by working with their clients every step of the way to meet their needs and expectations. Their number one goal is to partner with their clients to help and grow their business with a successful website. They work for every client no matter the size. So if you'd like a great website, go to webmerize.com, W-E-B-M-E-R-I-Z-E-D.com, or you could check out their link on the sponsors link of our website. If you mention the word biggin, you'll get 10% off your website design order. Again, webmerize.com. Check them out. Uh, did you bring one? All right. So headlines sometimes are give just basically the best content that um, to a story. So this one, uh, I'll let it kind of read for itself and let it sit in for a second. Okay. Um, loud fart gives away suspect's hiding spot, leads to their arrest. Mm. What do you think about that? Um, here's here's. Are you going to read any more? Yeah, is that yeah, it? Yeah. Okay. Clay County, Missouri. Uh, when tracking down a suspect, law enforcement uh, might use a canine to track the scent of a suspect. Uh, that was not necessarily. Uh, this was not necessarily for a recent arrest in Missouri, according to the uh, Clay County Sheriff's Office over the weekend. Liberty Police uh, were searching for a person who had a felony arrest, uh, felony warrant for arrest. Um, this person was wanted for possession of a controlled substance. Mm-hmm. The suspect hid uh, hid to avoid police, mm-hmm. but apparently let out a fart so loud. <laughs> It gave up their hiding spot. Um, we got to give props to the Liberty <laughs> PD for using their senses to sniff them out. Read a Facebook comment on Clay County uh, oh, wow. Sheriff's Office. Yeah. How about it? Here's here's how it went down. Stop it right now! <laughs> Look, I tell you right now, if they went to the local Mexican joint where I go to, oh hey buddy, you might as well give it up. I mean, if if like having and breaking the law causes you nerves. That's probably not the you're thing not, you're that you not, should yeah, do. You're, yeah, uh, you might want to check uh, the ladders or uh, glass door or Linza <laughs> for new job right. prospects because I don't think you're going to be doing that too too long. <laughs> Which, by the way, I hope my boss isn't. But I've I have I'm not in the I'm looking for a new job, but I looked for a radio show thing. So you do some some radio show stuff on the side, and somehow that transformed to the FBI is looking for people like you. They nice. clearly don't know who they're talking to. They're just, it's just a mass email. It's Maybe not. they do voiceovers for FBI <laughs> training videos. <laughs> In a world where you have a gun. Uh, I don't, I mean, 
I mean, it's clearly not, You're not looking happen. for a job. I think everyone's always looking for a job. Well, if, you, yeah. if you collect a paycheck from an employer, you're always, <laughs> you're looking, always looking for a job. FBI, yeah. by the way, needs people who can pass a drug test. That's been the problem with all their hackers and all their tech oh, people. Yeah. Nobody is able to pass a drug test. Well, and part of the problem is they're, be, they're eating these red velvet cakes Could be. that people are sending them, and that's why. Well, they also piss monster drink, too. You know, it's just straight, you know, hooked to the kidneys <laughs> right. type thing. So, yeah. Do you want to introduce our our, our guests? Yeah. Do I want to get introduced? <laughs> I mean, you can, yeah. you can actually, just tell, we'll, tell yeah. our folks who's, who's yeah, talking. Yeah, actually, um, today we actually have on, we'll have him on more for an interview segment here in a second. Uh, y- Yael um, Usowski. Is that close? You got it, sir. Man, I'll tell you what, if it's not Jones or Smith, that's just... You're out, right? Forget about it. Anyway, Yael's, uh, we uh, kind of mentioned earlier in the podcast, he hit, uh, became a Patreon sponsor, hit us up. And we kind of did a little digging. Anyway, he has a website called consumerchoicecenter.org. And, um, yeah, he'll be chiming in for a little, uh, for a little while here. We'll kind of get deeper into his, his story. But he's the deputy director of that. He's an international consumer choice activist and writer. So, mm-hmm. man, yeah, that sounds interesting. I, can't, I Personally, me, I think it kind of intertwines with my social uh, views maybe and also some politics and kind of where we're going capitalistic-wise. So maybe this will be an inter- interesting interview, I think. So anyway, so if you hear his voice popping, that's who our, that's who our guest that's is. That's who it is. All right, so let's go to some hot topics brought to you by Watchman Cigars. If you need an awesome cigar at a reasonable price, check out our friends at Watchman Cigars. All right, so I don't know, if you have you guys heard this where there is a, uh, in Philadelphia, there's a park that they're trying to keep the teens away from. Uh, and instead of building a fence around it or using police to, you know, monitor that situation, what they're doing is they've got a giant speaker out there and they're pushing this tone that is targeted for 13 to 25 year olds to get out of the park. And evidently it's, it's working pretty well, but it's only a tone that they can hear. Have you have you heard know, about is this? It like Billy Ray Cyrus is achy breaky heart? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe or uh, for my little foster kid. It's the Old Town Road. He loves that. No, that would, that, that would be that would drive them in. Right. Oh, it, it repels everybody yeah. else. So there's a clip I'm gonna I'm gonna play for it. I want to see if you guys can hear it or if I can hear it. I don't, uh, hold on. What, what ages? 13 to 25. So we are way well, I'm, out of I'm this perpetually thing. 12. So I, I'm kind of fall under that. Right. But physically you're not, you're not 12. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So here's, here's the, um, the, the bit. In this country, Philadelphia is trying to keep certain unwanted people out of parks. The city has been playing a constant high pitched noise. This is brought to you by NPR. A noise by that only teenagers and young adults can hear. Here's Michaela Winberg of our member station, WHYY. If you look at the rec center building at Philadelphia's East Poplar Playground, you'll see a small beige speaker screwed into the wall. Every night at 10 p.m., that tiny speaker activates. And for eight hours, it plays nonstop. What time? 10? Here's what it sounds like. (sighs) Didn't hear anything? If so, it's likely you are not between the ages of 13 and... (laughs) Oh. Ages of thirteen and twenty-five. Okay, so thirteen. Could you? you oh, guys yeah, could hear definitely. that, right? That spiked. That you heard it? Uh, no, you didn't hear that. I'm also partially deaf. Oh, that's right. I heard it. You heard it. Oh yeah, they have that down at the Harris Teeter, actually. Wait, what? Oh yeah, if you go down to the Harris Teeter and you're there, I think after uh, ten p.m. you hear that outside. 
at, at the one that's, that's out yeah, here. right down the street, right down Davidson. The idea wow. is it's anti-loitering. They don't want people hanging out right. in the parking lot. All right, play this again. All right, let me see if I can if I can get this back up. Here's what it sounds like. Didn't hear anything? If so, <laughs> you it's not likely here? you are not between the ages of 13 and 25. All right, one more time That's for our the listeners. Age Let's see. That, here's what it sounds like. <laughs> Didn't hear anything? You can't hear nothing. I can hear, man. <laughs> I can hear. If I'm not, if I don't have headphones on, I can't hear it. But if I do, it's, I guess it's amplified or whatnot, but it's, hmm. man, it's. Yes, yeah, you're I young at heart. Maybe. Yeah, they have these apps, too, that a lot of people used for dogs Yeah, to hear that high pitch. And we used to actually do this in high school. We had an app (laughs) that only the young people could hear. (laughs) Teachers all teaching on, this is eligible, this is how it works. Everyone's Uh, like clenching their ears. So this is a great trick to play on people. You know what would also be great is if you did the same thing in a high frequency and everybody in the class, like, the answer to the test on question one is B. Like, only those kids can hear that. We're not far away from that. That's coming. Oh, yeah. That's probably true. Five years uh, away. Anyway, so... Wow, that's... I mean, but... No one, it's amazing that there's certain frequencies, and I'm sure it has to do with the ear bone and things like that, you know, and the the whole health science of the inner ear. Uh, it's, just, it's just amazing that there's targeted frequencies like that. So, I mean, and also, if you've partaken in any big sport or you've been a mechanic or something, I mean, you're going to lose most of your hearing mm-hmm. when it comes to this fine yeah. stuff. So if anybody's been working at big stadiums or music or near huge amplifiers, you won't be able to hear this at all. Wow. The question is, should they be doing stuff like this? Well, the question is, can I get a copy of this for my teenager? Yeah, you can download the dog whistle app and just go at it. That way, when my wife and I are trying to make a little whoa, little hello time, <laughs> this is, this is a family on. friendly it'll, show. It might keep my seven year old <laughs> out of her bed. <laughs> just all right, we're gonna have some hello time. <laughs> then that's like, hey, I know what they're doing. You're just, I mean, that's just a bat signal for yeah. them. Oh, gosh, I, I don't care. The problem right. there is like, let's say you're 18, 18 to 21. You can't mm-hmm. go to bars, can't go to parks because they close at 8 p.m. Right. What are you supposed to do if you're that age? Typically, it meant hanging out in the Walmart or Taco Bell parking lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now if every place is going to have this, what are you supposed to do as a young person? I well, might as well go binge drink. <laughs> <laughs> it's a slippery slope. Or go play Fortnite or as I did, ask all the girls out and have them say no to you. Oh, no, that's always an option. There. How about it? Well, I mean, it's it's private property. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I, you know, I mean, being a kid, I remember going and doing the cruising on the old, for us, it was the Belvedere Center in Anderson, South Carolina. So mm. everybody got their new shiny cars, washed them on Friday nights. We'd go do, do the old cruising down the old Clemson Boulevard in front of the Anderson Mall and Belvedere Center. We'd all go park and just do nothing but walk around and look at girls and try to pick fights. So, um, but you know, the, the kids, man, they're, they're not respectful of this parking lot. You know I mean? They're throwing out trash and whatever, yeah. whatnot. It's burnouts, things like that. Have you, you know. seen the, the cookout on a Friday night? Oh yeah. Good. Goodness. If I ever want to relive my youth, I just go to cookout and pair of brass knuckles and just, you know, <laughs> may the odds be ever in your favor. So, <laughs> but, but, um, I mean, I, I understand Yael's point of view where there's just nothing to do. And I, I think that's where, um, I think private industry has to make things more attractive that, you know, um, as far as bringing back some type of spaces where people can congregate, wow. hang out, but not have 
you know, have standards, you know, where they have to, they, they, you know, you can't just come in wearing gang colors or come in, you know, with, with all your contraband or whatever, but at least have a play, a safe place. Mm-hmm. Parents know their kids, you know, age probably, probably 16, I would say 16 to probably 18, 19, um, you know, have a place, a safe place to hang. And they just don't. Yeah. Nothing like this. Friends' houses or – There was a boys and girls club when I was growing up here in Concord, actually. It was a great place for that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. nice. But, I mean, again, not everybody can – But not everybody even knows about boys and girls clubs sure. anymore. You know, I mean, I mean, the one we had in our town was 20 minutes away, 30 minutes away. Yeah. You know, Trying to get your parents to, uh, to leave your subdivision after 5 o'clock on a Friday for anything was yeah. kind of a hard choice. Hmm. If you are in the market for a high-quality cigar for a very reasonable price, you must check out Watchman Cigars. Watchman Cigars is a family-owned business that puts the customer first with the best customer service in the business. Watchman Cigars offers the Habano for a full, spicy flavor, the Connecticut for a mild, easy-to-smoke option, and the Maduro for a strong, powerful experience. They even do specialty blends and partner with you to provide a custom exclusive line just for you. Watchman Cigars has all your cigar needs. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Watchman Cigars 1991 or email Leon directly at Watchman underscore cigars at yahoo.com. That's Watchman underscore cigars at yahoo.com or check out the sponsors section of our website. Um, well, we're going to go to our next uh, topic called in memorandum. This is going to be a new bit that Mojo is going to bring to the show. Um, <clears throat> one thing that we were we talked about on the last show, we were supposed to have uh, Kentucky Sports Radio host Matt Jones on the show. And then he uh, right now, even as we speak, uh, the funeral for Jared is uh, wrapping up. One of the cool things that they're doing um, for their radio show is doing a college fund for his two kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um if it's okay with you, yep. I'd like to put a put a link out on our site, and we'll also tweet it out and whatnot. That um, you know, he he passed away at thirty eight. His uh, kids, uh, you know, need some extra help to go into college and whatnot. So, uh, who who is this? Explain. And Jared Lorenzen uh, was twenty two. Uh, played for the University of Kentucky football. Uh, he had a career in um, in the NFL for the Giants. He backed up Peyton Man- uh, Eli Manning. Uh, won a Super Bowl ring. He, uh, larger than the life, his nickname was the Hefty Lefty, the Pillsbury Throw Boy, uh, fantastic quarterback, loved uh, the university, loved his friends and loved his family and loved Kentucky. So being part of that that group, just it's a big hit for all of us. So um, well, on, on our site, we're going to put a link out to that. So if you want to donate just a few bucks to help his kids go to college, that would be fantastic. So yeah, we just, we want to give our, our thoughts, prayers, and uh, potential financial help to Jared, uh, Jared's family. So, um, Mojo, you wanted to bring on some some more memorandums this week, and in memory of, I'd like to dedicate this segment to as we remember er- Representative Eric Swalwell, mm. the first Democrat presidential candidate to drop out, a man Sorry. of stature. <laughs> A man of decent hair, manicured nails, and taxpayer-funded tailored suits. A genius of all things except the Constitution. Once being flunked and roasted on Twitter for his virtue-signaling comment, deploring the Founding Fathers for not including the word woman. Keep in mind there's also no man in the Constitution. 
an authoritarian who likes an Australian gun back, uh, a gun buyback, even declaring he would use nukes for those gun-loving nuts who scream, come and take it. So we, we salute you for making the smartest decision that you've ever made in your career, giving up. That's beautiful, man. You can also make donations to Jared Lorenzen's uh, <laughs> in honor of him. Wow. Well, I'm just saying, that's I mean, a good hey, quick turn there. Just saying, if you yeah. want to donate money because of Eric Swalwell leaving, yeah, I will. If you're not going to give money to that, give it yeah. to Jared. Um, I also want to do a memorandum of me, uh, of my hope of having a Sunday afternoon nap. <laughs> 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 having a foster kid, I realize that's never going to happen again. <laughs> Goodbye, afternoon nap. That's when you update the new PlayStation 4 or 5 mm-hmm. or 6 or 7. I've lost track. Yeah, it was a good time. He had many of, of hours of sleep, many of minutes of hello time, and I'll never be there again. Thank you. Lost your kid. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when he's 16 and has a job. All right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will have our guest, Yael uh, Osowski, and uh, we will be right back. You're listening to the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast. Welcome back to the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast. Um, yeah, today we we mentioned we have... Uh, Yael Osowski. Is that it? Osowski. Osowski. I'm sorry. It's all right, buddy. I am bad at butchering names. It's okay. I call my my wife 30 different women's names before I get hers. Well, that's a whole other reason. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Also, uh, just popped in Marty Jackson from Commerce. We wanted to have one of our uh, show's uh, favorite guests on also because I know that Yael is going to talk about liquor laws and things like that. So we just want to kind of have... Come around the table here just to ask some questions. So welcome, Marty. Thank you. Welcome, Yael. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. So uh, Yael, go to his uh, website at uh, consumerchoicecenter.org. Um, it's a very good-looking uh, website. It's probably better than my motorcycle website. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, he's the deputy director of this uh, organization. Um, he that is sounds inter- fancy, by the way. Yeah, right. Yael is an international consumer choice activist and writer. He's currently the uh, deputy director of the Consumer Choice Center, uh, since 2010, he has worked as a journalist and grassroots organizer with activists around the world. Um, he pre- was previously Watchdog, uh, Watchdog.org's uh, Florida Bureau chapter, chief Spanish translator. And uh, we were actually going to make him the host um, uh, Southern Fry Philosophy podcast uh, translator also. Oh, nice. And national investigative reporter from 2012 to 2015. Um, he's a, uh, also a contributor to Metropole magazine in Vienna. Did I say that right? Metropole. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yael has worked in multimedia journalists globally, uh, writing for outlets such as uh, Washington, Washington Examiner, the Huff Post, uh, Huffington Post, uh, South African uh, Business Daily. I'm going to have to skip that one because it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of uh, capital letters. How do you say that? Ashfi. It's a Swiss newspaper. Okay, yeah. That's, wow. <laughs> that sounds fancy. It's only Swedish. I know it's the uh, Swedish chef. Of, uh, uh, Swedish fish? <laughs> Swedish chef. Swedish meatballs. <laughs> Just I, cheese. It's Ikea. That's what you're saying. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> the Charlotte Observer, the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer, Arizona Capital Times, Detroit News. I'm going to skip down to my, probably one of my personal favorites, Reason Magazine. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, he's a he's a member of the Society of Professional Journalists. And, yeah, man, he's, he's been all over the world. He's like the Johnny Cash song. He's been everywhere, man. So welcome to the show, y'all. Well, thanks so much, guys. And uh, once again, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Mm. So thank you guys for having me on. I like that. Oh, Appreciate wow. that. So I mean, uh, that's lit- I'm literally going to be at home 
on the toilet thinking about that statement and what it means. Because I, oh, that's that, it'll take me a minute. Yeah, yeah, that's a statement to ponder on right there. How about it? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I know we, I know we kind of dive. We probably want to dive into what you kind of do currently, but let's let's hear your story. So we know you're from Concord, North Carolina. So, yeah, yeah I'll you, give you that. You can't say I'm a native son. So uh, obviously, I wasn't born here. I was born in Montreal, okay. French part of Canada, and uh, moved down here. My dad got a job with a NASCAR team. Uh, he's still there, and it's become a family business. Basically, I got my cousin there. I have my uncle there. I got my brother changing tires every week, oh, wow. and uh, I'm doing whatever I'm doing. But that's the reason <laughs> we moved to North Carolina. Okay. I was five and uh, went to elementary, middle, high school here, was ready for – a life in North Carolina, and then uh, had the gall to go and study in Europe, and I've kind of been bouncing back and forth since then. So probably the question your dad asked you when um, you didn't go in NASCAR, so I'll ask it for you again just to refresh your memory. What the hell is wrong with you, son? <sighs> yeah, basically. <laughs> I mean, there's there's many times frustrated evenings in the garage with the flashlight in which that's pretty much all I can handle, mm. unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm so, getting better, though. I'm getting better. Yeah. I can see the, the wounds are healing, so that's oh, good. Oh, yeah. My dad would get so frustrated. I mean, he would he I much show you how to change uh, this tire, son. I'd go out there and help him, you know, hold the flashlight. He would get so frustrated at me. Ah, just just give it to me. I'll go inside. <laughs> that, was a, that was a story of me learning how to change a tire My until dad. a woman showed me on the side of the road and, and, and uh, podunk part of North Carolina. Wow. <laughs> so. And that's how Mojo learned how to start a tire. Let's go back to yeah, yeah start, start a tire. Yeah, yeah, no start worries. a tire. So yeah, basically, I got involved uh, with you know writing very early on. Uh, I was very interested in podcasting and hmm. doing radio. I did radio when I went back to to school. I actually left the debt bubble. Uh, I went hmm. back to Canada for school, so I ended <laughs> up paying way cheaper and left with absolutely no debt. That a boy, uh, which is very good. Yeah, sure, and uh, gives you a, a big kind of leap for the future. So I, I was interested in writing, and I had a lot of ideas, and I didn't like the way the world worked. Mm. So I started writing on my own website, and then started sending my stuff out to blogs, and eventually was able to land a job. I worked at the Gaston Gazette newspaper uh, for a good while, got a lot of great stories there, nice. and uh, was a journalist as well at the Fox 29 Television News in wow. Philadelphia, which is pretty fun and cool and never makes me want to do television again. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's a wonderful industry, but the problem is, is you must look like ABC or uh -huh. you will never be accepted. Well, I'm out. So, yes, I'm a dude with a beard. My head was too big. My name was too weird. <laughs> Wasn't going to make it. You didn't use charcoal toothpaste. <laughs> Spray tans. Unless you're holding a camera, you're not doing anything. Right? No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Even then, it's a weird name. Not you sure. could <laughs> say you were former pro NFL because with Osowski, it sounds like you played in the NFL. I or, could. I got the battle scars to prove it. Right. And also, it's it's it was written in the Mueller report. I don't. I'm not sure you read that. <laughs> no, I, I don't think anyone read that. I got to page seventeen and ditched it. Yeah, no, I got you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So just started getting into writing and and doing producing, and eventually was hired to kind of be a a nice gun on the ground to investigative journalism in Florida. Mm. So looking at the state of Florida and everything that was happening at the political level, my job was to just go and investigate waste, fraud, and abuse. Get every story that you can. Mm. So while I was doing all of my stories in Tallahassee and in Orlando and Miami, 
basically picking up contacts, upsetting a lot of people, <laughs> getting a lot of people after me, a lot of sheriffs denouncing me, a lot of political figures uh, never inviting me to their Christmas parties. Oh, wow. Um, so that was fun. And at the same time, I was able to work a lot with our Spanish journalists doing all mm. of her translations, which is great, fun. Nice. Uh, I actually learned my high school Spanish, unlike everyone else. They kind of forget it when they leave the door. It's sure. hola and bye-bye. That's it. Yep. Um, so that was very fun, awesome stuff, and uh, I got the opportunity to move to Europe and uh, move to Austria in Vienna, where I've been living the last six years, and started doing a lot of uh, grassroots activism, hmm. uh, really involved with the classical liberal student movement. And okay. that was really my own inclinations. It was what I was interested in. I went to these events. I went to these conferences, and they asked, you know, do you think this is something that you can do full-time as a job? I said, of course, that'd be the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. And from that point on, this is 2013, I had a full-time job and it was really promoting the ideas of freedom, of economic and personal freedom. Mm. And I was able to do that for many years. I was our European director and uh, helped out a lot back here in the United States, was doing a lot of fundraising, was organizing events. Uh, I was a great time in my life. I was able to meet people who would go on to start protests and revolutions in places like Brazil or South Africa, uh, people who were doing amazing stuff all over Europe. It was just great to see. It was great to be a part mm -hmm. of. And uh, here I was, just this kid from Concord that was <laughs> kind of doing that. So I you know, kind of kept on that trend for a while and was able to bounce back between uh, Europe and, and here in uh, North America and really just got more and more into consumer activism as well. Understanding that uh, when we go to the store, there are at least 2,000 government regulations that will stipulate that you're not allowed to have X or Y thing, mm -hmm. and it's a travesty. And most people, consumers, don't know that. Entrepreneurs know it because mm -hmm. they have to fill out the paperwork or they're told no, but consumers don't know. And there's so many things that we're not getting to our table. We're not getting to our shopping carts because of so many terrible legislation that is not necessarily based on science, that isn't based on helping the economy, that is based on sectional interest that will be advantage for the big guys or some particular party or whoever lobbied the hardest. And consumers are kind of left out in the dark. So, Vernon, the first thing that comes to my mind is like CBD, CBD oil. Sure. Yeah. What are some other things that, that are on that list? Well, CBD is, is definitely a big one. I think there the issue there is it's legal in the entire country. You can have CBD. It's been mm -hmm. legalized through the farm bill. Uh, that's bright and clear. We've right. got a shop down here in, in downtown Concord. The Three problem of is them, I think. the problem is the, the police officers do not know the difference between C B D and THC cannabis. So yeah. they pull people over and they take all of the things in their car and take their cash in their car and they say, sorry, we're gonna lock it up. We don't know what this is. And uh, it's illegal here in North Carolina, South Carolina, whatever. Yeah. So C B D is definitely one. You have a lot with alcohol and a lot with your airport. There's a, there's a strange reason that we want to fly to a different part of North Carolina or even Miami and we have to pay the same that I pay sometimes to fly across the ocean. It's mm. insane. There are so many airline taxes. There are so many regulations mm. and high cost. There's so much that goes on in the background that people are not able to use. In Europe, we have Ryanair. We have EasyJet. We have all these cheap airlines. Here, maybe we have Spirit or Frontier. But the big airlines are really trying to regulate them out of business. Mm. And that's why we have all these laws that they're trying to pass, trying to say, well, you're not allowed to have all these fees for this and that. And that's really harmful for uh, everyday consumers who just yeah. want to travel and go see their grandparents, go see their family. So airlines is there, alcohol, CBD. Uh, you have everything with vaping, uh, with the mm. new alternatives to smoking. That's a huge one. Uh, we have to think about everything that's 
the same with genetically modified food. Um, there are a lot of people who are very much against it, uh, people who say don't eat it. There are those who say don't eat it and we'll also make sure no one else eats it. And we want to make sure that there are laws on X or Y or Z. Mm. So that, that's another category. I mean, there's so much of this, particularly with healthcare. I think everyone's had problems with healthcare. So many regulations on that. The problem is not that we don't have a government system. The problem is, is that we do have a government system mm. and there's so many bad incentives and so many people that are just trying to get their cut that really makes it hard for you yeah. and me to just get a doctor or get a health service like we add everything else to our cart and have it delivered. Yeah. It shouldn't be that difficult. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot to, to take in. I, it, it frustrates me that there are so many regulations that it doesn't – we don't have that freedom like you were saying. How is that different than what you see in Austria or – Europe. I think that the difference that you kind of see is, is it's not even necessarily that regulations are bad. It's that smart regulations are good. We just mm -hmm. don't have many of them. We have them sometimes, granted, in particular areas. Uh, you know, a lot of cities in the United States have e-scooters that are, mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys are fans of them, but I think they're great. They're awesome. I take them all the time. And a lot of cities have really come out and said, all right, here are the rules. Uh, we're going to make it so that you're required to ride in the bike lane. You need to have this. This is the payment system. That's it. Other cities like Nashville say, no, 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 take them off the streets. Can't mm. have these guys. Nobody can be having fun. Can't have people. <laughs> One guy tripped, broke his teeth. Can't have that uh. on the road. <laughs> these are the kinds of things that, yeah. again, th this stuff is the stories that are on the news mm. that are very emotional. And it's not about evidence. It's about emotion. Well, I think mm. regulation pops in for even from the ground level. I mean, if you took a piece of dirt... You have to you have to grade it a certain way. You have to have certain underground features uh, that for drainage. These are these are all regulations. I mean, to pull your concrete pad, put your steel structure, you have to have uh, permits pulled based upon regulations. So before a building's even built to offer a good to a consumer, there's so many costs involved with it. And as a small business owner, so many licenses that you have to go for to apply for to add to add time is money out of pocket. And I know sometimes consumers may not see that, but there, it is a it is a struggle to get even the smallest business open these days because there are so many regulations. I mean, you think opening just a plain produce stand on the side of the road would be, a, would be an easy task. Well, it depends where you open it. If you open it to a city city limit area, you open yourself up to a wealth mm. of regulations and licenses. I mean, I can't even imagine, Marty, for, for you in a brewery, the, the amount of amount of rigmarole that you had to go through. It, it was um, <clears throat> time intensive is probably... Uh, money and, too, I'm sure. Money, it, believe it or not, the paperwork was more overwhelming than the financial yep. side of yeah, it. Yeah, but the time took opportunity. Oh, yeah. yeah. Obviously, obviously, we could... I mean, uh, the big one that's the biggest waiting period right now is uh, probably your TTB. That's your federal, federal permit to produce alcohol. And uh, last time I checked, that's a 180-day wait to get that approved. Wow. And depending on how many people you have invested, it's, you know, because they basically, you sign away your rights to any privacy whatsoever when you f apply for that permit. Mm -hmm. And they dig in to your finances, you know, any investor's finances. They make sure that you are okay to produce alcohol. Yeah, you there's know? no... I uh, mean, to me, it's a sin tax, basically. It's like... Well, they, uh, there's probably no moral, moral turpitude. Uh, uh, um, I'm sure also making sure that you're not laundering money. But there are, I mean, like there that. are multitudes. That's the federal level. There's the same thing at the state level. Um, there are so many different... And I'm gonna, I don't, I don't want to single anything out, but I mean, there's one that um, 
every time we produce a new beer, we have to get a permit approved by the state. And really all it is is a label approval saying we're making this beer. The alcohol content is ABC. The name of the beer is this. And this is what the label is going to look like if we bottle it. If we don't bottle it, then we've got to give them a um, picture of what they call the keg collar. Mm. And that's the label you put on the top of the keg to identify what's in said keg. Um, But that has to happen every time you make a new beer. Now, like Molly's, we made Molly's. We don't have to do it every time we make the Molly's, beer, not the, Molly right. the drug. Yeah, but the, yeah. <laughs> but the, our, our, that's our Irish red. You, you guys have had it, so. right? I actually had it today. Had so, it today. Yeah. Okay. So every time we make a new beer that we've never made before, we've got to send that paperwork to the state. It's about a seven to ten day turnaround. Now, the ladies at the state that approve these are wonderful. I'm not going to say a bad word about them because they've been very helpful and they will do anything they can to help you. But it's still. Just another piece of paper that you've got to fill out. Of course, the pro- and the, the state's got to get their cut for you to do that. So mm-hmm. to send that paperwork in, it's ten dollars. But it has to be a cashier's check. They will not accept the business check. You know what it costs to get a cashier's check? Ten dollars. Ten dollars. <laughs> I don't even know how to get a cashier's just check. Just go to the anymore. bank and ask for it. Yeah, you go to the bank and just wow. ask for it. My bank. So it, I have an online bank. What am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? Oh, yeah. But it's twenty bucks. Well, twenty I, bucks every time we come up with a new recipe. I think in American terms, it's called SOL. Yeah. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just a normal. Yeah. That's to just produce a, an example. Yeah. Produce a product. Of a, re- a regulation that probably services no purpose for anybody. It does. It's a it, number one. The ten dollars is just a revenue yeah, source right. generator. That's not true because Goose Island. Um, Bourbon County Stout, they released theirs because they had to go through the same thing in Chicago. It allows me to see actually what's coming up for the for the next release. So <laughs> that makes me kind of happy. What's well, a benefit to you? It is a but benefit. Th- I think, pay ten dollars. But to think see. of the person who has time, sweat, money yeah. involved in actually the, making the product. Sure. Time. I mean, because you know a lot of entrepreneurs. That you know, mm-hmm. you, not you know. Here's the here's the myth about being an entrepreneur. As soon as you open business, you're not a millionaire. People think, Wait, what? Yeah, no, I mean, hold your breath. You, you can't just take vacation whenever you want. Uh, and I'm do pretty whatever sure. You want. Yeah, you're not you're not no. going to get in the new lease on the new Lamborghini SUV like the pastor mm-hmm. down in Greenville, South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're you're struggling out there. You yeah. know, you a lot of people work two jobs. A lot of people do their business and then do mm-hmm. another business on the you know they're real yeah. nine to five on all the, day long, all day long to make it things go to yeah. pursue this dream. It's not like you open the doors, you know, unless you have a sugar mama or sugar daddy. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. To yeah. be able to do this. And so having to take the extra time to fill out all this BS mm-hmm. is just, I mean, it's killing us. Well, I mean, you said it's an opportunity cost. You know, all the time that you would be spending uh, buying new products, getting all these kinds of new beers or new ideas together, you've got to assign time of your day or to someone else on the team to do paperwork. And you need to follow this regulation. And, okay, we got to be sure we do this paperwork. Don't use that name. I've seen names who are, that are rejected. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, just because, you know, they don't follow the standard, they say, because something is illegal. Well, sometimes you can um, – if the name is obviously offensive, they can reject it for something like that. So like F the ABL board. Or probably. something like that. Yeah, that would probably get offend, probably get banned. <laughs> but also part – I never said there are some things that are useful about it because it – it does prevent like two breweries from having the same name mm-hmm. yeah. for well, a beer, and that's know? that's the lawsuit between Stone IPA and, right. and Keystone. That's right. the big thing as well right now. Which that they had another one too. Um, Stone did. I can't remember. It was um, something to do with their um, slogan, not their name, not a name of a beer. But they were um, somebody had their. I cannot remember it off the top of my head now, but I'll have to look it up. It's probably the logo. It, no, it was actually their their little catchphrase thing. It was somebody was using another one that was very similar. 
Um, but I, can, I mean, I can appreciate not having the same name for beers. You know, that can be confusing. That's trademark. Yeah. yeah. That was in the Constitution. No, that's yeah. clear as day. Yeah. But see, the, you don't have to trademark every beer. Um, and the only time you really have to trademark it is if you're going to label it for sale outside of your facility. Oh, wow. If you're going to only sell it inside of your facility, it's not nearly as free for all. Kind of a free for all. Yeah. You can have, you know, and then us, we don't package anything for outside sales. So, you know, we have a little bit more leeway with our labeling because of that. And that can get really expensive, though, right? To, oh, yeah. to copyright yeah. just yeah. one beer? Yeah. I mean, yeah, my, just to copyright my name for uh, when I have my restaurant chain, mm-hmm. uh, just to copyright the intellectual property, just just the logo and then the name itself was, I mean, 2200 bucks. Holy and cow. A, and 11 months of waiting to, to go through the trademark process. Wow. So you have that aspect. Not saying everybody has to trademark their stuff, but if you got something going good, you would. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm an anti-regulation person, but, you know, there was uh, Upton Sinclair wrote a book called The Jungle back in um, well, the early turn of the century. And this basically he went down to uh, uh down to the New York and it, the inner city part of New York and to the meatpacking dis, uh, district and wrote this book just exposed oh, yeah. and doing an expose about this the, the meat industry as far as the, the butcher shops. And believe it or not, New York, used, New York, Chicago, these major hubs used to be major uh, areas for just, you know, where they bring a ton of cattle or you know, mm, chickens sure. or whatever in. They would, you know, service, you know, the, the slaughterhouses yeah. basically. And he wrote of just decomposing bodies of, you know, animals and the just this horrible, you know, side effect of what had happened in New York with mm-hmm. the meat industry. Yeah. I'm all about that. that. That led a revolution to regulations yeah. and keeping people safe. But it's the overreaching regulations. I'm sure, sure Yael would probably agree. The ones like, you know, uh, if I want to come to market with a saltine cracker, I probably have to specify how many granules of salt that I'm going to include on, as the topping, right. you know, because of some regulation from some mother who has a kid who's allergic to salt. You know, there's probably some regulation out there. I think the the the, bag, the biggest way that I'm able to see this is just traveling between not even countries, just states. The differences that we have and the way that different products are treated. I mean, I hate to bring up alcohol again because it's right no, in front of me. It's quite got, okay. I've got half, half a glass. But the idea is that we go to any country in the world, people are able to drink at 16 years old. Mm. Here we treat it as if it is this devil drug mm-hmm. that must be kept away, that people will never learn how to drink responsibly. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in Italy and in Germany, they're able to drink at 16 years old, and they don't have alcoholics or binge drinking like we have because it's responsible, and it's a part right. of the culture. It's a part of our culture too, but we just had this terrible disaster of an experiment, the prohibition, <laughs> that is still <laughs> lingering in so many people's minds, and many of these regulations are still there as well. Yeah. I think that's by the way, I think we're entering the 80th anniversary of the end of prohibition. Sure. Prohibition. So, I mean, you know, we, this is 80 years. This is yeah. a problem that has lingered on. And I and I know here we're in the Bible Belt. I mean, I grew up in a church where uh, just even uh, popping a cap or taking a whiff of anything with you know, yeast, marley, uh, barley, malt, mm-hmm. and the whiff of beer. I mean, that is a direct express toll lane. Right. Uh, fees uh-huh. paid to hell. I mean, so I understand that. But um, like I said, other cultures – we're, ironically, you know, we talk about our proud immigrant history in the United States. We're all from Europe, yeah. pretty much. Well, and, always. you know, we all shared in that experience. And, we you know, were the ones whose ancestors, we were the ones whose ancestors got kicked out of Europe. <laughs> you guys are the Puritans. I'm pretty sure mine was. Yeah. So you talked about alcohol. Let's talk about because you recently posted about the NC alcohol omnibus 
sure. budget that went through. What's what's going on with that here in North Carolina? Yeah, so and and there's been a lot of great reporting on this from uh, my friend John Francis Trump, uh, who's at Carolina Journal. Oh yeah, Journal. we've had him on the show. Great guy, uh, wonderful book, still in barrel, which I'd recommend. Yeah, uh, he's probably one of the best sources on this. I'm really being the activist, right? So he's he's doing a lot of great reporting. Uh, so there've been some small changes, um, some things that are. For the better, and there's a Supreme Court decision um, that the that they handed down in Tennessee not long ago as well that was also very good. But really, number one is looking at the craft breweries and how much they're allowed to distribute mm. uh, without going through a middleman, mm. and that's really what it is. And these guys are loud and proud, and they have a lot of money, and they like attacking groups like mine because mm. we stand for the consumer and lower prices and cheaper prices, and not necessarily for a government mandated way of having. Business A or B have a handout. Um, so I think that was very good. They've removed the cap on that. Uh, there was another one where they're going to finally allow people to buy alcoholic beverages at uh, public university stadiums. Mm-hmm. Big yep. thing. Saw that. that that's huge. Um, there's a lot more that we hope will come down the pike when it comes down to whether – ABC committee should still exist and whether the ABC system should still mm-hmm. exist. Uh, there's there's a lot of movement there. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen, uh, we think, in the next two months. But I look, I think that's, that's two good pieces of news. It's yeah. a good direction. Uh, there's so much entrepreneurship that's happening that all of us enjoy. I mean, just go on Instagram, look at hashtag Charlotte, North Carolina, look at craft breweries. We have great breweries here in Concord. We have everything that's popping up and there's mm-hmm. so many great choices that people have. Um, you know, let's allow people to buy that stuff online. Let's allow people yeah. to ship it. Let's buy it from out of state or have, you know, breweries here be able to ship out of state. You know, yeah. There's a lot of regulations like that that are just so convoluted. And once again, every county has their own rules yep. with their own ABC committees, which, by the way, sometimes counties have multiple committees. And all these people get paid salaries. Yeah. All these people have it's decisions. It's crazy, right? It's just millions of, of dollars that could otherwise be uh, better spent by consumers themselves yeah. and taxpayers. So that's that's another point, I think. Speaking of craft distilleries, I'm just going to give a quick shout out here. Uh, Doc Porters, you brought in some Doc Porters yes, from sir. Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, bourbon, small batch. Guys, um, I got to admit, we, we've been on the bourbon trail and Marty's uh, looking for old uh, number he's allowed to have um guys this is really good bourbon um i gotta admit i, I didn't think this was going to be coming out of charlotte but that is that is fantastic i've seen it in the stores a hundred times so I, I i'm i'm glad to actually be able to try it so. i was inspired to buy it after reading john's book actually yeah getting on that north carolina bourbon and you, i had this at, i had this at my bachelor party Bunch of international guys around the world. They said, this is the best bourbon we've ever had. Wait, wait, how we that love again? it. I'm going to turn that up. This is the best bourbon we've ever had. We must have more. Please. <laughs> you also do a really good accent. I, I mean, you I've been met, living there I mean, too long. Yeah. You should do the bump at that accent. Oh, yeah. When you have him do the bump later, you should have him do the accent. That, that sounds good. Um, so tell us, what are some stories across the globe? Like, what, what are some things that are just some of the top things that from – across the pond that you think desperately need to change or you're really working hard on, <laughs> sorry, um, you're working uh, tirelessly to try to change in in Europe. Uh, yeah, I think when it comes down to the entire trade war, I mean, it's it's something that those of us who go about our daily lives, we don't really see and we don't care about. Because it's what free trade. Okay, that's like something politicians in big hotel rooms talk about. And, mm. But this actually increases the price of almost everything. 
Uh, so that that's something that we've been working on on basically every continent. And I have colleagues who are working in Brazil, who are working in Europe, uh, who are working in different parts of Asia right now. The, the idea is that we need to have freer trade. And if we can have Amazons and if we can have all these sites and if we can have lower cost shipping of products, we have better and more efficient planes and boats, we should have freer trade. We shouldn't have to pay customs duties. Customs mm -hmm. duties exist because 200 years ago, the government didn't know how to raise money from people. Mm. We already have an income tax now thanks to 1913. We don't need to also have all these duties collected by governments yeah. because I want to buy my iPhone in the UK. So free trade I think is number one. If you look at any product that is now made and they just made the last Volkswagen bug in Mexico – Right? And everyone says, oh, it's made in Mexico. But you have parts, electronic parts that are made all across the United States, parts sure. that are coming from Italy, from Germany, things coming from China, from Singapore. Look, we are a global economy and it's made people richer and it's made Americans the richest society in the history of the world. Mm. So we need to have more free trade. There are a lot of things that people like about President Trump. But the one thing that we can't support is just the constant on and on about putting up more barriers and making it harder for people to trade. All we want is for people to be able to trade. A hundred years ago, people were able to trade very freely. They mm. didn't have the means like we have now. Now it's very easy. We have flights coming in every single day from different cities. So I think that's important if you look at aluminum, if you look at pork. North Carolina was especially hurt by the announcing of all these tariffs. China was buying our pork by the boatload mm. a lot. Wow. And that's something that's really important. And also all of these German auto manufacturers are based in North, South Carolina and in Georgia. Hmm. So as soon as the tariffs start coming in and they can't buy their steel or anything from China or Canada anymore, what are they going to do? They're going to up and either go home or go to Mexico. Hmm. So all those jobs that now exist in North and South Carolina are going to have to go. And that's a direct impact. So it's not just – Free trade in the headlines, this is something that impacts uh, everyday people like you and me. And there's a lot of education on that Yeah, because this is not just the Chinese boogeyman, right? This is <laughs> this is the entire global trade society and it's what's made us rich. That's why people mm. have dollars everywhere around the world. You go to poor countries, rich countries, people in the countryside have dollars because this is the most stable country in the world. It's the richest country in the world. Mm. And people want George Washingtons in their pocket. They don't want Bolivars mm. from Venezuela. For that very reason, old Alexander Hamilton. You couldn't you couldn't fit enough of uh, boulevards in your pockets no, to, of course to buy anything yeah. in Venezuela. <laughs> but also, you know, not just making us richer. Well, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that. that's kind of a that's a loaded word, rich. But with our stuff, imagine going back to 1980 and trying to own four TVs in your house, owning the most current technology, 1980, 85. I mean, that just speaks to the global economy. Yeah. I mean, trade has allowed the common man, the average guy who works 40 hours a week, you know, uh, busting his knuckles, uh, turning wrenches or pouring asphalt or hammering a nail into a, a roof. Mm -hmm. That's what, uh, what's allowed them to go out and buy that TV, that, you know, extra TV, the, the hot tub. I mean, whatever. I mean, trade has opened that up. Yeah. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have that in the 80s. People, I mean, your neighbor would go buy a VCR for $2,300 and everyone would crowd over there for that. Yeah. I remember those days. Wow. And still couldn't, still couldn't figure out how to program it. That's right. <laughs> at, at 12 o'clock would still be <laughs> still blinking. And that's, that's why comparative advantage is so important. You know, I, I think everyone is, is so obsessed with the idea that we have to build everything from the ground to the very top that needs to be only American hands. But 
look, we are better at creating businesses, at, at coming up with ideas, at coming up with concepts. Mm. Americans as a whole and particularly Europeans, they're better at doing that. And a lot of the manufacturing is better done elsewhere. Look, that's just the way it works. Mm, it wants true. the cost for shipping go too high, which, by the way, might happen with all these carbon taxes. Mm. It's not going to be as efficient to do stuff in China. And it's even not even efficient to do stuff in China at all now. Uh, a lot of factories are moving to places like Vietnam because China is just getting way too expensive. Now they're charging a premium. Vietnam, at least, you have a growing economy, you have a stable government, they respect human rights a bit better. So there's mm -hmm. at least a shift that's happening. And look, we have a great knowledge economy in the United States. We have great entrepreneurs that are putting out great products. People, consumers especially, want to have those. And I, I think this age-old xenophobic trade war, mm -hmm. this is not making anyone better off. So this, this idea from Trump of make America great again – were were America centric that it has to come like you said from our hands, really was a and it made you feel good on the inside maybe, but at the end of the day like it that's not that was not beneficial that yeah. this whole process isn't a good yeah I mean process. I think there, there's a there's a reason that Trump won and uh, thank you guys for mentioning Yang Gang on one of the previous episodes yeah. I think it was good uh, definitely that's why Trump won a lot of people are dispossessed a lot of people are put out of their industries I mean we're sitting in Concord mm. um, we had the huge cotton mills that went bust, a lot of jobs were lost. Yeah. There's a lot of people who had no no clue what to do. That was a lost decade. That was a very hard time for mm -hmm. people in this community. So yes, it's very tough. But that's why we need the space and we need innovative and smart regulations so that people can create the breweries of tomorrow. There used to be zero breweries around here. Yeah. Zero. There was nothing. I remember my childhood. There was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but now you have so much innovation that's happening. You have people who have this creative space that they're able to tinker and come up with ideas, stuff that we never would have thought about 15 years ago. Yeah. And we need that space that people are able to do it. And that's how consumers as a whole are going to benefit, number yeah. one. I don't, you know, not to defend Donald Trump. I mean, I'm, I'm not. For, if you're this is your first episode, I'm not a Trump Trumpkin no. by no means. Here you go. Um, but they I, will you know, be met with fire, fury, and frankly, power. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm not one that totes his water because you know, there's there. I, if someone does something right, you you you, you applaud them. If they do right. something wrong, you kind of you know call them out on that. Um, the the trade war, I, I don't agree with because tariffs. You know, like like Yael said, I mean, that was how we raised money for our military. Our government was through tariffs prior mm -hmm. to 1913, before the federal uh, for IRS, you know, the Federal Reserve, things like that. So, um, in fact, what uh, they didn't start really doing an income tax until 31. Um, so, you know, that's how we raised money. Mm -hmm. You know, I, um, I I don't I don't like the tariff idea because. I mean, I understand there has to be a pl even, even playing ground, but I think there's creative ways to do doing that without sparking a trade war. I mean, our stock market, look at it every day. If Trump says anything about stock, money, mm -hmm. globe, I mean, key sizzle words, I mean, your 401k is just cut in half. I mean, or it goes up twice. I mean, who knows? But your Bitcoin goes up. Yeah, but we're, but like, <laughs> like Yael said, we're a global economy. I drive yeah. a American-made, quote-unquote, Ford pickup, more iconic than a Ford. Okay, mm -hmm. I, dri I drive one, but I can't tell you, I, all those parts were not made in America sure. at all. I mean, it was probably, it was assembled in America, I think, in Kentucky. But um, yeah, we're, we're, we're spread out. Like it or not, things come from everywhere. I mean, unless, you know, maybe you're not your brewery, but I'm sure you're probably your glassware came from China, Barney. I'm pretty sure the steel that made our tanks came from China. Well, there you go. So, I mean, um, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, 
It, it is absolutely a global thing. I think we've we kind of missed the point on that, and you know, it's really easy politically. We've gotten to a point where somebody has to be blamed for everything, mm-hmm. and you know, it reminds me of the uh, South Park episode. They took our jobs. You know, it's just really easy <laughs> to go back and forth and say, "Oh, well, they're, you're losing your job because of this." They're sending them to Mexico. Well, yeah, okay, it's cheaper to do something in Mexico. Now, let's, and, but there's always these fits and starts. I think Andrew, you mentioned Andrew Yang. I'm, you know, big fan. Don't know that I'll vote for him, but at least he's talking about things in a way that nobody else is. And um, it's you know, they, there are these fits and starts when all these changes happen, and there's always going to be people left behind. And you know, we're it's just how it is. That's the world we live in. There's there's a good quote that um, <clears throat> former presidential candidate Ron Paul used to mention is that we had World War II. The entire economy was militarized. All these people went to war, fought, did very brave things, came back home, and they went to work. And the transition into the economy in the 50s and the 60s were booming. It was one of the mm-hmm. best times in the United States history. And I think that's something that we can have. We can have that. Well, and part of that, too, is we came out of World War II as the last man standing. I mean, we rebuilt most of Europe, most of Asia. Because we were the only economy that really wasn't wrecked. Yeah, and re- rebuilt Austria, where I currently live. Yeah. So thank you guys again for that. <laughs> but I mean, it was you know, it's one of those things that because we were the last man standing for twenty years, there was just work to be done. There was no need to say, "Oh, where are we going to get the money to do this?" It was just stuff had to be done, so it was done. Mm. And you know, that was twenty years of not only Americans rebuilding things and helping to you know export technology to rebuild it, but it was also nobody to compete with them. There was nobody left. Nobody had the the economy that could compete. So it just kind of raised their standing even higher in the world, or our standing, I guess. But I wonder how many regulations do we have on the books now compared to 1946, 47 after World War II? Yeah, that's that's too difficult to answer. A mile I mean, long? <laughs> I, tried, I actually try to follow a good amount of federal regulations. Again, that's to tell you that we're a federal system and we have laws at the federal, state, county, city level. Uh, it's very difficult to follow. I know uh, Senator Rand Paul would always do a kind of uh, chainsaw gig where he'd be on camera with a chainsaw going through the Federal Register showing all the laws that have been passed just in the last 60 days alone. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot there. And the question is, is, you know, that these – these things take people to execute, to follow. You have to hire people who mm. are going to approve X or Y. And some regulations might be very good and helpful and mm. very good for the consumer. But again, uh, most of the people who benefit usually are at the very top. That's something that a lot of uh, people who are supporting people like Bernie Sanders, like Elizabeth Warren, don't understand is that, yeah, there's something called regulatory capture. The people who are closest to lawmakers are typically those that the laws are going to affect who have money, who have lawyers, who have lobbyists, who are able to be there in the room and tail it a certain way. These vis a insurance companies and Obamacare. Yes. I mean, they helped write Obamacare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's something to where all all that consumers want is just competition. Mm. Going into a Walmart is the greatest experience for someone who's been living in Europe because I've got 18 types of everything. <laughs> in Europe, you have two types of everything. They just don't have this level of competition, and our prices are way higher. So that's something that we just want with everything, and there should be competition in healthcare. Mm. Why not? Yeah. Goodness. We have, we have Wedgwood men's deodorant in a blue bottle. 
And we have Wedgwood's Mint Deodorant and a red bottle. And That's fresh and, and wintergreen. This is good. And some people like that. And there's a market for yeah. it. And that's the thing is we have a market economy where it's based on supply and demand. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not based upon, well, the government has decided. And they do this in, mark, you know, in uh, command economies around the world like in China – or different parts of South Africa, they say, well, it looks like we need about three types of deodorant for our market here. So we're going to make it company A, B, and C. If you want to be company C, you need to pay $15,000. How does that sound? So it's all backroom dealing. We need to have competition. That's really the best way the consumers are mm. going to find products. Mm. And that, that also sparks innovation too. Yeah. I mean, I mean look, just if you take the space industry right now, you have billionaires taking a piss match right now who are trying to get to, to the moon and Mars and trying to become the first, you know, tourism industry. You have uh, Virgin Airlines brand at what Branson uh, Branson, you have Bezos from Amazon. You have Elon Musk. These mm-hmm. three guys have basically probably fast forwarded NASA technology about 30 years trying to mm-hmm. innovate a market that they can bring to the consumer. Now, albeit a consumer who can afford, you know, Elon Musk has quoted, you know, hundred hundred twenty five thousand dollars for a, a trip, but mm. albeit, I mean, this better than probably the. Hey, you remember the price of the VCR? Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, there was a guy named Yuri. It will come down. There was a guy Yuri who, uh, a billionaire who spent, I think, over a billion dollars trying to go into it just into space mm. in the stratosphere, and he had to he had to uh, pay the Russians to do it. Well, with with Groupon though, that that will drop down considerably, like sixty percent. Well, but you but you got to hit it at the right time of year, right? Of course. I mean, you don't want to go to space in the summer. I'm just saying. Well, you know what? If they do that two for one with a salsa verde a sauce <laughs> package, then I might I might jump on board. What are so uh, free trade is a hot topic for you? Is there anything else that's just really like? We say on the show, burns your biscuits uh, here in the states. Yeah, I mean, I, I make it my my personal crusade with alcohol. As as we mentioned, I think that's terrible. I think even traveling around the United States, apart from Pennsylvania, many states are just way better uh, when it comes to alcohol laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, another right, thing, or single off Pennsylvania for a second. Just oh, so, so yeah, if you're if you're a if you're a, a great resident of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Uh, many great things happen when you want to purchase alcohol. You need to go to the beer store. You need to go to the wine store or the spirits store. Mm-hmm. It's so separated. I mean, this is what we do in Canada. That's how bad it is as well. <laughs> and if you're following Canadian law, that's pretty bad. <laughs> South Carolina. So, so Pennsylvania is something where, you know, in Florida you can go or South Carolina, you got to drive through liquor stores. Mm-hmm. You know, here in North Carolina, it's run by the government. I understand in Pennsylvania, all this stuff is just so separated. Basically, if you want to try to host a dinner party, you need to go to all these different stores just to source your drinks. Yeah, Bobby wants beer, Wanda wants wine, and Larry wants liquor. You got to go to three different outlets <laughs> to get to get the sources. And, when, and when, I li- when I lived in Philadelphia, you know, I, I tried to talk about this. I tried to cover people, but it's like, oh no, these laws have been there too long. We can't change that. And said, so, you know, Pennsylvania is take, take, talk about Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is a unique state. Oh yeah, I mean, you have you, you have. Philadelphia, which is modern urban progressive city, modern urban progressive city that maybe a higher power took a dump on, you know, 
And then you have Pittsburgh, which is still nation, you know, kind of up and coming city. Then you have the Amish country. Mm. And of course, to drive from one side of Pennsylvania to the other, you have to take the turnpike, which cost about $2,700 to, to, to the turnpike. <laughs> and it is it's staffed a, with state troopers who are just uh, ready to pull you over. It's like, it's oh, like yeah. watching a bass competition. I mean, these guys are out there just out there on the hunt looking <laughs> for the biggest whale in the bass community. But yeah, <laughs> it is a unique state. So yeah, Penn, Pennsylvania, who's antiquated, obviously. Oh, yeah. And and that's another thing I've focused on that we mentioned is, is CBD and cannabis regulation. Uh, there's there's a lot that's being done there. I actually testified at the FDA not more than a month ago. Oh, wow. Which is super strange being with all these scientist guys who you know run a government agency just staring at you. I'm, talking, I'm here to talking about weed, everybody. <laughs> but the, doing your math, uh, Matthew McConaughey voice, you know. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right. <laughs> and, and with CBD, look, this is a, a great example of something that has been legalized, and there's an innovative market that's coming around. Mm-hmm. The problem is the regulatory. Uh, agents and the police are just far behind. They're like, we don't know what to do. That's partially Congress's fault. It's partially the fault of, in North Carolina, they want to make it illegal to have smokable CBD, Mm. which is terrible. That's actually what the House Republicans want to do. And why, why are they trying to do that? They're trying to make it because police officers have a hard time differentiating between THC cannabis and non-THC cannabis. I, Hmm. I have a, I have a novel idea. Now call me a revolutionary. Here it comes. Maybe you should just decriminalize cannabis altogether. Oh. I mean, I, because if you can't tell between the two, instead of making both illegal, yeah. let's just make both legal. And this is a true story. I was getting my haircut, um, and a state trooper was also getting his haircut. And we were talking about CBD oil. I, I, I've actually been taking it from Matthew uh, Don, Don, Dan User, Dan User yeah. from American Shaman. We had him on the show. I've been taking it for my plantar fasciitis, which works incredibly. Um, and sharing my story, and we were talking you, about. You also have an amazing glow to your skin. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> stop getting, stop looking at me like that. Uh, but even the police officer said, "Well, I don't know anything about it, so in my book, I wouldn't touch it." That was end quote from what the state patrol yeah. Okay. Was saying. Yeah, and, and now we have so many forms. You know, most people are not going to the store and buying bud. Most people right. are using creams or liquids. Yep. Uh, they're buying the vape cartridges. I mean, there's so many great ways that people are able to consume this. I mean, this is something that is now hopping. And the biggest users in legal states of cannabis, THC cannabis, uh, including Massachusetts, the biggest age group that y- is using it is seniors. Mm-hmm. And they're using that because it's helping some ailment. And yeah. look, they're free to do it. It's the law. Do you Guess remember what? This? I think it's, I'm sorry. Again. Do you remember the story of the woman who took the CBD oil down to Florida at, at yeah. Disney World and got Better busted right. for yeah. that? Look, yeah. we have baby we have baby boomers aging out every yeah. day right now. I, if if marijuana, I, no, I don't even like to call it marijuana because marijuana is a made up term by Hearst. Mary Juana, um, the old devil's cannabis. lettuce. Cannabis. <laughs> you know, if baby boomers do not push cannabis over the precipice of legalization, I don't know what will, because this is something that's helping mm-hmm. um, that generation out. Yeah. I mean, you, my mother-in-law, baby boomer, yeah. is now taking it. And this is someone who stands up in church and, you know, if you drink a beer, you're going to hell. Yeah, she's, but she's doing the CBD now. Yeah, it's helpful. Because it's helpful. Yeah. And that's a look, this is a great change. I think uh, it takes a long time for the law to change. And the thing is, as politicians do not lead us, politicians follow the people. Mm-hmm. But, what, but why? the more that people are able to open up to this and they start visiting these stores, the more the laws are just going to have to change. But why do we let, you know, it, it, 
how many times have you seen something become illegal or more regulated because there's one woman who has yeah. a special case due to a, maybe a child who has maybe a special need or something that there's one mother who has a towering voice that ruins the whole industry for people. Yeah. I mean, that's like four loco. <laughs> Actually, I'll give you an opposite story. In the United Kingdom, their medical cannabis, totally legal, not able to get. There was a story of uh, a young girl completely paralyzed. Uh, her parents found that there was some kind of cannabis alternative that they were able to give her, and she was actually able to move and feel mm, better, wow. and it was impossible to get. They had to like smuggle this stuff from the U.S. They finally were able to get it to her. They saw what was do- happening to her, and the political establishment, once they saw her and they saw the video, they completely changed their minds, mm. and medical cannabis was legalized overnight. Mm. See, I like that. Yeah. But you know, w- w- let's just talk about the, the- – the UK's health system. I mean, UK health health system Not is what University of is what you know. What I think thirty. We have what thirty two left. Thirty two Democrat Democratic uh, um, presidential candidates left. Or whatever. <laughs> sure. This is the style they want. And we're yeah. going to lead to rationing. You know, this is not a consumer choice. And things like that in the UK where they, you know, you're not allowed to have that. Mm-hmm. You think that you think that the, um, the human health services there in England would prefer that people explore options like that because it takes less off the system. Yeah. But they don't. It's Yeah. And it, we have the same in, in Canada, by the way. A lot of people praise the Canadian system. I've lived under the Canadian system. My grandmother is suffering under it. Uh, With, explain. That, yeah. So know. the the thing in Canada is it's a provincial system. So there's no such thing, by the way, this is great trivia for, for all of you watching Jeopardy. There's no such thing as Canadian health care. It's run by the provinces, okay. the states. So every province or state has its own system that's run on its own, has its own mm. laws, its own administrative things, its own prices. Everything is on its own. It is a universal system in some provinces. Universal meaning that everyone pays in. Universal meaning everybody pays in and everybody is covered. Okay. Now, the thing that differs between certain provinces is that some provinces, such as Ontario, do not allow you to have private medical care. Mm. Nothing. No private insurance, much like Kamala Harris and these folks would like to have. Um, Other places, they do allow it, like in Quebec, my home province. They allow private care for certain things like knee surgeries, cataracts, but it's very limited. And whenever you're up for surgery, my grandmother had this many times, you are put on the waiting list. And it takes sometimes eight months, sometimes 11 months. It depends. And if you're an older person, uh, sorry, but mademoiselle, you're at the bottom of the list. Mm. And that's the kind of issue that you have there is this is is you don't have competition. And if you don't have competition, it's just going to be this arbitrary thing where anyone who's watched Chernobyl on HBO Mm. is this old Soviet system of let's just churn the wheel, put this person on top, this person at the bottom. Mm. Uh, You need to have competition. And it's also it's also not recognized like Chernobyl, not recognizing the problem. Problem, not admitting it, not because the system is so great, you know, like the USSR, the Soviet system was so great. We can't admit to our own fault. I mean, we can't admit that, that, that we're in a deep slide south. Can I ask one question, though, on the Canadian? Like, if yep. you're a Quebec citizen, but sure. you have to go to Ontario, what happens then at that point? Well, if you are... So your rights are portable. You have portability. So okay. you are able to get stuff reimbursed. 
Much like oh, okay. if someone is from Quebec and uh, like many people from Quebec, they have a house in Florida or they go vacation <laughs> down there sure. called Snowbirds. Yeah. Uh, then you are just able to get things to the really white people. <laughs> oh, no, they're orange now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That was, that was me like, two weeks ago. Sorry. There you go. They're orange now. So, yeah, your rights are portable within Canada and then you have that exterior. Okay. Um, but again, the, the health economy, you know, is worth 40 percent of everything that people are making of GDP. So oh, wow. it's it's a trade off in the U.S. The problem that we have is everyone assumes that we just have like this total private system. But look, that's mm. not true. We got mm. Medicare. We got Medicaid. You got everybody who works for any government agency anywhere. You have the military. I mean, there's actually a huge segment of the population that's covered by the government. Yeah. I'm sorry, but the VA is not a success story. Mm-hmm. So, And we want to model it after that, too. Yeah, that's very I mean, unfortunate. One-sixth of our whole economy is health care. One-sixth. 18%, a little, a little less, a little less than 18%. Yeah, I mean, and we're wanting to hand that total key to that car to a U.S. government who can outrun just even our veterans program. Yeah, yeah. The, the people they should take the best care of. And they that to me that's the one argument. If if every time we've ever let the government run health care, the best the best they've done is the VA. I mean think about that. That's yeah. the best they've done. Oh yeah. Just think about the failed programs they've ran. Mm. Head start yeah. is one of them. And we, if- we flushed billions of dollars down the drain trying to educate kids before the school system you know, we, we had like kindergarten. Mm-hmm. We, we, we flushed down billions of dollars in the system trying to get our kids up to par to world standards. Mm-hmm. It was a, I mean, you're not a failure. Careful. It's a family yeah, I, show. Trust me. I, I, yeah. can't use my, <laughs> I can't use my street language, sure. language here. But, you know, think about um, the cash for clunkers. I know that's mm-hmm. a favorite of, you know, the, the Republicans that bring that up. Think about cash for clunkers. Yeah. We subsidize people to bring their broke ass cars into dealerships, yeah. and then dealers dealers kind of misappropriated those vehicles and floundered the system. It, yeah. You know, just yeah. so many programs that we can come up with. I know another thing with healthcare, and by the way, this is a very practical thing. Yeah. Look into direct primary care. I think this is one of the greatest options that people have, especially here in North Carolina. Direct primary care is the idea that you have a subscription with a doctor. He accepts zero insurance. You only have disaster insurance and you're covered by that plan. You pay for everything and it's transparent with your doctor. Mm. I've had this plan now for two years. I think it's great. I think everyone should look this up. It's a way that doctors are actually real. And doctors are very smart. Mm-hmm. If anyone's ever spoken to a doctor, they're incredibly entrepreneurial people. Um, you know, They have a tradition that goes back thousands and thousands of years. These guys love the model where they can deal with the patient, mm-hmm. not the insurance companies, the hospital. Then you got to deal with the government reimbursements. Yeah. Look into that. I think it's a very interesting model. And I think, I think uh, call it quackery or whatever, but I think dentists, and chiropractors are kind of ahead of that industry, ahead of that uh, yeah. that industry where you know a lot of dentists now and a lot of uh, chiropractors are leaving the insurance model for self pay or models like yeah. you're, you're speaking of. I think. Well, and we have we have our, our friend of the show CJ, mm-hmm. um, who is a fantastic chiropractor. Yeah. And an, I don't go through insurance. I just go to his house and you know get a job done. So exactly a back job. <laughs> Uh, we get what you're get, saying. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I've actually got a very similar setup. I've got a very – I have health insurance, but it's very high deductible. Yep. And it's basically if something really bad happens, I'm covered. But when I go to the doctor for my physical, I pay out of pocket. When I go to the dentist, I pay out of pocket. So I know how much. I'm, you know, and I can – a lot of doctors 
will work with you on that. And you can you know, even actually negotiate a little bit of the fees sometimes mm. because they're not dependent on an insurance company paying them. They know they're getting paid that day when you, when you receive service, you're paying them. So mm. they're willing to work with you a little bit on the payment. And you don't well. need to have someone in the office who's only dealing with insurance, which all the other doctor's offices yeah. do have. So that's just some practical advice. I hope people look that up. And th- there are so many. Look, the, the entrepreneur is very creative. And yeah. There are ways to get around everything. People think the medical system is not broken. If people think that the med- medical system is actually working, let me just give you my number from 2016, April 26, 2016, when I had a heart transplant. Mm-hmm. It cost my insurance $1.1 million for a 12-day stay and my heart transplant. If I would have been on Medicare, my own the contribution to Medicare was only $58,000. Holy cow. How, I mean, look, I, I understand huh. the government insurance may they may be working on some type of mathematical formula like the toilet paper companies are, you know, where you know you get six rolls equal 20, mm-hmm. but I I that math don't compute. Sounds that cool. dog don't hunt. It sounds more like common core math to me. Exactly. I mean, well, man, yeah, toilet paper core math. I mean, I, I don't understand that math. That math don't compute. Yeah. Huh. That is crazy. Yeah. Explain, is crazy. I mean, explain that to me. How 58000 is $1.2 million. One point, yeah. Simple. The government is going only going to pay for what they're going to pay for, and everybody else has to make up the difference. That's one of the reasons your rates are so high, and because mm-hmm. the people that can afford it are making up the difference for the people who can't. Yeah, but what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to explain is that we're we're trying to a surgery. You let's just say you split the difference, took the average of fifty eight one point one million dollars. I mean, mm-hmm. you'd still be left with a chunk of money there, sure. and that's what the surgery costs. As far as you know. Uh, paying the the top salaries for the top surgeons in the world. I don't want to. I don't want some surgeon from Venezuela or Cuba working on me for a heart transplant. I got some um, duct tape and a pocket knife, Chief. I'll mm, do it. And a bag of raisins and pork rinds. <laughs> We're gonna make this happen, Captain. So I, I don't want that. I want the up to date medical bed. Mm-hmm. I want the up to date respirators, things like this. I don't think we you know fifty eight thousand dollars is going to cut it. I mean, we're going to have doctors leaving the system. We're going to have nurses leaving the system. If everyone makes $25,000 a year, mm-hmm. what's the incentive to achieve? Sure. And there's a great uh, series on, on Netflix now called Adam uh, Ruins Everything. Uh, sometimes it's very good, sometimes very bad. Sometimes, but, yeah, sometimes his facts are bad, yeah. But they had a very good one on, on health care, and it's just that prices are not transparent. And mm-hmm. how can you do anything yeah. at all if prices are not transparent. It's how consumers know. It's how entrepreneurs know how to enter a market. It's like, well, prices are you know, at this level right now. We know we can make X profit. Consumers are like, well, I could buy this. Now I can buy that. Mm. If we don't have prices, we have zero information. Yeah. If you were to allow consumers to bring their own Tylenol into a hospital, yeah. just think about I was gonna the, say, the millions of dollars that would be saved just on Tylenol alone. Because I went in... Um, for, for just something silly. Um, and a Tylenol was $58. One Tylenol was yeah. $58. They wrote Tylenol on the on the bill? Yeah. Or, wow. Yeah. Itemized. One Tylenol, $58. So just imagine if we were able to bring our own Tylenol bottles in. I would have saved $58. The guy had to drive but to Walgreens. I would have I would have sold them my entire pack <laughs> and they would Uber owe me money. A whole bottle. <laughs> <laughs> what, have, what has been uh, the most remarkable story of change, plus or minus, uh, that you've experienced through through your work? I think, uh, you know, and, and I, I'm sorry, I hate to go from examples away from the U.S., but working with Brazil, 
Um, mm. So I, I was briefly for a time um, training activists in Brazil who were becoming very loud and very effective. And uh, they started finding thousands of people in the street who agreed with them. And mm. this is uh, the student protest that happened just a couple of years ago. Okay. And they overturned an entire government. Wow. And the sort of the regime that we have now in Brazil, they are now staffed with you know dozens of people that I used to work with. Uh, so, what's your thoughts on Bolsonaro? Well, is, I, is that how you say it, Bolsonaro? Yeah, I, I think. Look, everyone wants to make a Trump comparison, which is just not fair. It's a country with its own history, sure. with it, with its own circumstances. Uh, they did create an entire bureau, an entire department that was dedicated to getting rid of administrative bulk basically, mm. to scaling down government, mm. uh, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, so I think I think that's very good. That, I think, that probably makes no friends. If you're a person earning a government check, a federal check in Brazil right now, for, and you know your head's on yeah. the chopping block. Yeah, the thing is, I mean, look, this is Latin America, right? There's a lot of dirty hands. Uh, a lot of things have been done very dirty for a long time. And Maybe it's not perfect right now. I know the Intercept, uh, Glenn Greenwald's site, they're investigating that a lot because he happens to live there and mm -hmm. he sees a lot of what's happening. But look, I think that's a great idea. When it comes to social politics, everyone wants to you know make this all U.S. politics just mm -hmm. in that country. Look, it's just a different country. You can't yeah. expect that they're going to be the same way on gay marriage or abortion. That's just different and that takes time and that's – not fun yeah, <laughs> to sure, try to, sure. to litigate. So, yeah, I think that was amazing because the, the guys that I was working with and the, the, the student activists that I you know was able to train or take part in training, uh, they became leaders of, move, of movement. Mm -hmm. And they had megaphones in the streets with tens of thousands of people wow. uh, who were chanting, you know, we want uh, less marks. Uh, Karl Marx, more Mises, Living von Mises, was mm. an Austrian mm. economist. So streaming that, screaming that in the streets. It was revolutionary. Change. It was revolutionary. And this was not your Hugo Chavez, you know, Chavista revolutionary. These were revolutionaries for leaving people alone mm. and for more freedom for themselves. I think the big protest started because of the, the price of the uh, public bus system. They were just kind of just arbitrary lifting stuff and changing the price. And there's something like that that sparks everywhere. You know, if we look back to uh, the revolutions that happened across the Middle East, that had to do with food prices. It was just mm. insane. And it had to do with a guy who had a food cart who could not get his permit to sell his fruit on the street in Tunisia. And he set himself on fire and started an entire revolution. Wow. So there's so much that is being done. And you see that a lot across the continent of Africa that people are becoming more free. Uh, mm. They're skipping over all the steps that we took. You know, they don't have rotary telephones. They went right to cell phones. Mm -hmm. They don't use their domestic currencies anymore. They use U.S. or they use Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people that are doing that. On, it's super cool to see. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, also uh, what Yael was talking about, if you want to go to Mises, M-I-S-E-S dot -E org, it's just a free informational uh, website. I mean, it is phenomenal. Uh, Ludwig, Ludwig. Ludwig von Mises, who was von an Mises. Austrian. Yeah, yes. Austrian economist. And um, if you... If you are a, a right of center Republican, basically conservative who like your money, want to keep it in your pocket, or if you're a libertarian, this is kind of our guy who <laughs> we we look to. Uh, free yeah. videos, free information. Go check out, out the website. What's that website again? M-I-S-E-S, -E Mises.org. So I just got back from Chicago. We watched Hamilton. Oh, yes. to Hamilton. Have you 
Yeah. Seen. I have not seen it because uh, it's way too expensive, but yeah. I know the soundtrack by heart. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, I could play it the whole thing right now. We, do we have two and a half hours? Um, but the whole point of him was sparking that revolution. Mm-hmm. He's not going to throw away a shot. Is is that possible in the the U.S. today? Can we have a a, a revolution? They can overthrow the government. I mean, there were, I, and again, I never would want to use those words because those words can actually land you in jail. And uh, had I signed that when I became an American citizen in 2009, I would not have been accepted. <laughs> have you been part of any movement that wishes to overthrow the United States? No, I can't. I don't, I carry I don't know what to mark here. <laughs> uh, so I think, you know, we need a revolution of ideas. Uh, I think there was a version of that with Trump. Right. Uh, there was a version of it for Ron Paul uh, back in 2008. And I was very much a part of that and very excited to take part before I was a citizen. But either way, I think you know, this is very possible. And the issue that we have in the United States is the discourse is – look, and that's why I love the podcast that you guys do because it's local and mm. you talk about culture and how it intersects with all this stuff. And look, things are not based in LA and New York. Mm. That's not America. It's a small yeah. segment of society. Yeah. And whenever you look at uh, political parties and membership, you're only talking about 30% and 30%. The rest of the country is right there mm-hmm. in the yeah. middle. And that's what everyone is fighting for. So I think most people who are looking at the local level, who are you know showing up at the city council meetings, at the county commission, that's where you can actually implement change pretty easily. Mm. I, th- I think people who are just yelling at the TV at Fox News or MSNBC, that doesn't help anyone. Yeah, and absolutely. you have have it within your power to drive down on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. when they hit the gavel down. What do you think of this zoning law mm-hmm. where we only will allow houses? Mm-hmm. And you come in and say, well, no, I think this is perfect for mixed use. Let's put in a business there. Let's have an apartment. Let's have Burkdales everywhere, everybody. <laughs> You're able to do this kind of thing as a citizen and it's within your power. Mm-hmm. And I think it is possible and people have been doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was a big thing in Concord many years ago about the jail trail and whether or not they wanted to build the jail. Now we got a parking deck. Mm-hmm. That's actually news since the last time I was here. Yeah. Oh, wow. This How about it? This is pretty nice. Pretty nice to see. Yeah. It's pretty nice stuff. <laughs> uh, so you have these small changes that are incremental that people are able to do. And it, all that it takes is just being there and being present and having your voice heard. Mm. Don't allow these people to run the agenda and to put it in. I saw it too many times when I worked at the Gaston Gazette. The county commissioners, they had a buddy who had a construction company who could probably do that patch hole. We're going to do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. just, just get Rob on you know, there's so <laughs> much just old school stuff. And had anyone just showed up and said, whoa, that's blatant corruption here in Gaston County, mm. it would have been very easy to do. And I think that's why I love the work that you guys do because mm. you discuss this stuff locally and you talk about the impact on everyday people. Uh, we shouldn't have to focus on federal politics. That's why the Constitution is so great and yeah. the division that we have as citizens. We don't need to focus on all that stuff. We yeah. don't need to be permanent legislators like in ancient Rome. <laughs> you know, We can focus on our business and on our families and in the meantime, make our lives better and freer and richer. Yeah. It, it all boils down to local. I mean, yeah. it all boils down to it doesn't matter if I'm sitting here, if I'm sitting in you know Charleston, West Virginia, or if I'm sitting in Vienna, Austria. Mm. It all boils down to local because that's where it spreads out. And um, I, I, I love the national conversation, but it, I mean, really, it boils down to you know, county, city, and state. I mean, when, when if you're living here in the U.S., I I feel like that the advances in technology that have allowed us to have. 
Fox News, MSNBC in our hand at all times, Twitter, Facebook, so we can find out what everybody's thinking in any given moment, has really kind of put the local stuff to the back burner in most people's mm-hmm. minds because they feel like they can jump on Twitter and participate in the national discussion, and I'm really making a difference when actually you know, 21% of the people are actually on Twitter. So, no, you're not. You're yelling at the same people that either already hate you or already agree with you, and you're not changing anybody's mind. And a lot of people have forgotten about how much you, difference you can make on the local level. Yeah. I'll give you an example of that is you mentioned several years ago there were no breweries in Concord. Yeah. It's because it's illegal. Mm-hmm. And the people that wanted to open breweries got together, started talking to the right people, started sitting in on city council meetings, having discussions with those people that make the decisions. And we found a very easy, quick way to make breweries legal in Concord. Wow. And, and I mean, it took it took. And you talk about how the laws changed slowly. That whole process took four to six months, oh, wow. which in the in the world of changing a law is light speed. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's huge. I, I, I deal with. I just had to do a. I had. I'll be honest. I had very little to do with that. I was one of the late. I was one of the latecomers to that party, but. But you're still going to see it. Though. Exactly. You're, you're the guy that shows up late and brings the potato salad and be like, I'm here. <laughs> I, I, I say the, the uh, title of my autobiography is It's Not My Fault. All I did was buy beer and make suggestions. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's good. That's good. But, you know, I mean, like in, in my industry where I'm at now, I mean, laws will get passed in 2000. Like, for example, I was going through a, a continuing ed class today, mm-hmm. which is total horse. Sure fill in the blank and I mean it's an eight hour course I have to take every year Mm -hmm. and I'm going through this course and we're talking about legislation that was passed in 2014 that went on the books January 1st 2015 and they're starting to implement it (laughs) in 2019 wow four years and it's stupid stuff like make sure you have this box checked on the MBR 1473 Two form, wow. which states that, yeah, I'm not using. Yeah, yes, I'm not using microwaves for burn popcorn. That, that is the box I'm literally checking. <laughs> sure, but you know, the funny thing there is, it took them four years to figure out how to implement. That. Oh yeah, some politician got together with some lobbyist group and said, "Oh, this is a great idea for yeah. a new law or a new regulation. Let's pass this." And everyone's like, "Yeah, let's pass it." Well, and then all of a sudden, the bureaucrats had to figure out how in the hell are we going to implement this dumbass idea? Well, <laughs> because, because it had some regulation there where a guy named Sanjo who drives a 94 Civic with blue and color must come by and inspect. So they've gone around and found that 73 Sanjos can go by and do this. <laughs> it is stupid. All right. And this is the government we trust for health care. <laughs> you know, Europe, I think Europe and America is a great contrast because well, these good. are our cousins. I mean, you know, America. America follows on the economic you know, freedom index. We fall number twelve, and I think I think we're up four spots um, versus like probably two thousand fifteen, sixteen. I think. Um, where Where do you see number one? Where do you see the United States United States going? Because you know pro, uh, Trump had promised that we we would cut two regulations for every one that we implemented. Mm-hmm. Now do I believe that? Mm, I gotta whatever. say, if you're following the administrative stuff. Uh, and Reason Magazine actually does a very good job of doing that. Uh, the Trump administration is getting rid of a lot of uh, regulations. That's right. Um, I think overall that is happening. But are we implementing worse oh, regulations? Well, yeah, I can't be the judge of that. First. <laughs> no, there's plenty there. Uh, and I, I think one thing that you are seeing is, you know, 
America is just different. You know, European countries were forged in the shadow of blood and war. Plague. And America is yeah. based on an idea and a philosophy. Mm. And that's why. Well, I, hold, hold, you got you to you back up and say that again, because I, I think that may be the most refreshing view yeah. I've had. I've heard. This is not an original thought, by the way. This, is, still Margaret, the, this is Margaret Thatcher. But this is still a refreshing thought that we've, we've not heard in. So Europe was forged in the shadow of war and bloodshed. America was based on a philosophy, on an, an idea. idea. Yeah. So this I think is. Bono, I think Bono also said that. He might have sent us your cash. Uh, the other thing to realize with that is that you know this is a society that is very free and open. And we didn't talk about immigration, but I'm. Oh, very, yeah. I'm very much an immigrant uh, now that I, I do have. I'm twice an immigrant, by the way. Once to the United States, once to Austria. What am I doing? Where do I belong? <laughs> I, th- I think you're just a wanderer. I know. I'm, I just exist on Twitter. I uploaded my body. And my <laughs> you're like, you're, you've become sentient with the I internet, know. just like I'm Eric there. Schmidt with Google. No borders, no nation. <laughs> um, but you do see that this uh, this thing in America where you know it's very accepting as a culture. And I think because of that, it's been very resilient. And I think this new spirit is very good. Europe is just kind of lost in turmoil. Uh, you know, d- d- Define that. There are many um, opposing political forces in almost every country who do not agree with everything that's happening at the European supranational level. That's a new word, by the way, supranational. Is that the, is that the European Union? This, yeah, this is okay. above national. We go supranational. And you have the European Union who is actually – they're trying to create a model that is the United States but in Europe. But the hmm. problem is is that people in North Carolina and Kentucky don't speak the same language, go to different mm-hmm. churches, uh, have totally different histories, used to belong to different empires. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. Well, that's kind of true here. We, we, we sometimes we, we did need a translator in Kentucky. A couple we times. did, yeah, the tour. But well, I, and I and I, I hate to, and I hate to pump my my French Canadian roots, but uh, you know there are many places in the South that actually used to be French speaking, and uh, it was yeah. only after World War II that people started transitioning to speaking English, particularly in Louisiana, as mm-hmm. we know. So there's there's a lot there. So I don't need to. No, toot no, my you, horn. no, you're right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's in my voix. See, that's one thing. I lo- that's one thing I love about the South. I mean, we're La we're part ex. of the yeah, we're <laughs> we're part of that French, we're part of the 13 original colonies where we had so much rich history where we had immigrants from all of Europe mm-hmm. coming here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. hell, you go, to, you go to Texas, there's one of their f- most famous state foods is a kolache. I love it. Which is from Czechoslovakia. Yeah. I love it. I mean, you have Lexington, North Carolina, which is a spit throw away from here where we, you know, our barbecue a national identi- identity of, of food is based off Germans, yeah. Belgians, Polish. You know, they, this is this is the reason why I love the South. Yeah. So, and I, I, just to do the uh, the praise to the South, there's uh, an author who is an economist who was born in Gastonia, Thomas Sowell, mm. uh, very well known in conservative circles, great economist at Stanford. He wrote a book called Black Redneck, White Liberal, and mm. he talks about the origins of the Southern heritage and the Southern culture. And you know, everyone assumes that it's just innate. You know, you got. Poor, lazy Southerners, poor, lazy blacks. This is the stereotype that's thrown out. But all this actually comes from the south of England. Mm. And most Mm. of these people immigrated to the south and they carried all of these traits, the accents, all the Southern-isms that you guys have in your dictionary online. (laughs) All these Southern-isms have actually existed for hundreds of years and they actually came from Britain. Mm. They came from the south of England. And all this has been translated through time and we've gone through the American experience and there's been this mixing between all 
all these cultures and it's given us this wonderful country ham that is the United States. So if I go to Southern England, they're going to be able to pick up y'all. Well, no, actually, if you if you were to, actually, they have said there's been people who have actually analyzed the Southern dialect. Mm-hmm. If you were to speed up our conversational language, it would actually sound like the Queen's English. Oh, yeah. We're going to have to do that. So if you're listening to the show, go We're back. We're going to do two and a half times speed. Start at the beginning, do it hit, two and a half speeds. Hit it fast on overcast. Uh, <laughs> fast on overcast, hashtag. So if you don't mind, can we talk about immigration? Can we? Yeah, I would sure. Love, yeah. I'm all in. Yeah. Thank you for letting us talk a little bit more. I appreciate that because I, 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 when he brought that up, I was like, man, oh, that's yeah. a great topic. Let's do it. All right. So immig- what was the process like? We, we hear all the time, it you know. Yeah. From what I understand, it's expensive. It takes time. We don't have the the opportunity to do so. What's the realistic? So it's obvious to you guys, not obvious to your listeners, but I'm a white guy uh, sure. from Canada. Well, um, I think that's pretty obvious. The process is not different if I'm a guy from Nigeria. So mm-hmm. the, the application process is always the same. The way that we went through it is my dad. Uh, my dad got a job at Hendrick Motorsports and moved to North Carolina. Uh, go Terry Labonte, go Dale Jr. Mm-hmm. And because of that, mm-hmm. got a specialized uh, worker's visa. Okay. And we were able to get that, and that covered the entire family. So that was in 1994. Okay. And then it was in, I believe, 1997 that we were able to get the green card finally. So we got permanent residency. So anyone who's on a green card... You are able to, if you renew your card, stay, live, and work in the United States, no problem, unless you commit a felony. Now, once you've had your green card for five to ten years, depending on your status and level of your visa, you are then able to apply for the American citizenship. Now, this entire process is incredibly expensive. It's very difficult and hard. Uh, I think it was a bit easier because of my dad's uh, worker status and he was working in a very specialized industry. Mm-hmm. So it was very good. He wasn't working at you know Aldi or Walmart You're, or something. He wasn't coming here to basically accept a dole off the government. He was no, coming no, here to contribute not. to an industry. Yeah. And if you are a new immigrant, you are not able to just get benefits uh, you know, day one. I think that that's something that's talked about particularly for undocumented or illegals. I think you've mentioned on other programs – you know, I've I've worked in restaurants around Concord. Worked with plenty of undocumented, illegal folks. Mm-hmm. It's like whatever. I got to pay Social Security. Don't care. I'm here yeah. with my family. So yeah. I mean, mo- but like I've talked about before, also sure. most of these guys are sending money back to their home country. It's number two source of income yeah, in Mexico. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, they are looking wow. to go back. They're not wanting to retire here. Yeah, live out in the Everglades. Play golf every day, sipping on my ties. These guys are going back to their home country where they can live like kings and queens. Yeah. And I think that's another thing about the American system is look, you got to compare this to every other system in the world, and ours is actually pretty good. Yeah. The system in Austria, if I wanted to immigrate, my, my wife is Austrian, that's where I live now. If I wanted to immigrate to this country, it would take me 20 years. Getting a passport would actually mean giving up my American passport. I wouldn't be allowed to have it anymore. And you have to do a language tests. You got to do all these different types of tests. You need to do a cultural exam. It's incredibly difficult. Whereas in the U.S., I was asked three questions: What color is the White House? Who was the first president? Who was president during the Civil War? Mm. That was it. So oh, wow. basically, you're saying if I wanted to become citizen of Austria, I have to assimilate. You need to assimilate and hmm. it's it's if it is very difficult. You need to be able to pass 
what we call a C-level German, which is incredibly difficult. So I was reading this wine bottle in front of us. Mm-hmm. That's like A. That's Dude. very, very low level. You need to be able to converse with mm. the prime minister. That, that that's the level that you need. Look, I, uh, well, I would to, write. I would have a certified, notarized letter to the Austrian Council for Immigration, whatever the name is. I don't. I'm just making up something at this point. The <laughs> Österreichische Verband für Migration. Exactly. What the heck just happened, dude? You just sound like. You just like Arnold, Arnold, Nor- Arnold Schwarzenegger doing the audible. <laughs> anyway, California. Uh, my tell my German. Yeah. Oh my god, I still have PTSD from my German teacher in ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade. Du, was hast du gemacht? Du hast nicht es so gut gemacht. Uh, Franz Fran, Fran Brunner, and she would lay into me. Mm-hmm. Hey, buddy. By the Family way, shop. by the way, Germans are the gr- biggest um, immigrant minority group in the United States. Really? Uh, that over time. So if you think of everyone who's ever had a name like Barnhart, Earnhardt, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Schlecker, any of these names, they're Smith. all Germans. Patton. Okay, maybe not Smith. But a lot of these is Germans were the, the biggest minority. And actually it was thanks to Germans mm-hmm. that prohibition actually wasn't stricter than it was. Because at first, many people thought, oh, they're just going to, yeah, this is just hard spirits. Because mm-hmm. the Germans were all for their beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and there's a, a lot of uh, evidence, if you look, watch the Ken Burns documentary that was on PBS and now on Netflix about prohibition. Yeah, that's great. That that's talks actually about really good, yeah. the role of the Germans as well, who mm-hmm. were just like, guys, we just drink beer. Come on, what's up with this? You can't equate us with this. This is like <laughs> part of our lives. Right. So, And Germans have been super important. I mean, my grandfather's German, so I have to say that. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I mean, if, you, if you're a conspiracy nut like me, Operation Paperclip, where we took all the German scientists from World War II. Well, and, that's true. You Come know, on. we created UFOs and alien technology. <laughs> so, I mean, you have that also. <laughs> so, speaking of aliens, so you were here 13 years before you were actually get given citizenship. Yeah, so uh, immigrated in 1994, and I received my citizenship in 2009. But hold on. He also said it was easier because he's Canadian. No, not at all. So... You said it was hard and expensive. Yeah. Ballpark figure back in 2003. Yeah. It's probably overall $15,000 for a whole process. That's including the paperwork, and no one can navigate the system on their own. You need to have a lawyer. So you got to have a lawyer. And if anyone's ever been in the middle of Charlotte and you're enjoying, you know, one of those great Philly steaks at one of those uh, food trucks, they have all these Spanish language newspapers that are free. Mm-hmm. Those things are Hola. just loaded mm-hmm. with ads for sure. immigrant attorneys. So fifteen grand, yeah, thirteen years. I mean, that's is that, that per person or is that for the family? That, that, that's for the family. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but it's actually 15K per person because speaking of our friend Hussein, I've actually mm-hmm. been checking into him mm-hmm. also for him. And I mean, Hussein is from Saudi Arabia. Um, it's our ally. <laughs> our ally in oil production oil, or whatever oil, you want to call it. But it, it's going to cost anywhere between fifteen and 25000 for him. And yeah. he is just on the beginning start of that. So, so is the argument we need to make this faster – Cheaper, easier. Is that not a valid argument? Or I, I think I, I think it definitely needs to be a bit easier, not because of the Mexican border or anything else. Mm-hmm. Just because citizenship and you're asking me by the way, I'm I'm an extremist. 
citizenship should be as easy to obtain as a freaking VIP loyalty card to Harris Teeter. <laughs> look, this is this is look. We we are they, they now denied me three times. I'm just telling you. They have told me, <laughs> they have told me not to come we, back here. We twice. are able to travel to all these countries, and the idea of passports, by the way, are very new. Mm-hmm. We only had passports really starting at the First World War. Before that, if you were a traveler. You went anywhere you wanted. Nobody asked you questions. It's mm. just like, okay, do you have malaria? <laughs> do you have some terrible sickness? No, come on in. Yeah. And I think we, we're the more that we're thinking now about you know wanting to choose property and where you want to live within the United States, the more mm. that we can do that internationally, the better. I don't think there's going to be this huge stream of people who are doing it. People are dying to get into countries. We saw that in Europe and we're seeing that in Mexico. But they're fleeing a lot of disaster – that is the result of terrible policy, terrible governments, a lot of violence. I think people should have the choice and I think we need to make it a bit better. I don't think we need to follow the sort of message that was pushed at the Democratic debates uh, some weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, where they're just like, well, we're just going to legalize border crossings and this. It's like, look, guys, if you're going to have asylum, have asylum. Mm-hmm. There's a process for that. Yeah. Right. Somebody just can't c- cross the line because it's like, yeah, I'm claiming asylum because I think it's better here. Yeah, you know there there needs to be some legitimate reason, and there's plenty in Venezuela and these places that mm-hmm. don't respect human rights. I think the process, as it is, the United States has one of the best immigration systems in the world. Whoa, Where, whoa, whoa! What, yeah. why, do we, why do we get dogged though? Why do we get dogged? Yeah. Because it's American critics. <laughs> I mean, do you have yeah. guys from Mexico who are hanging out on MSNBC or, or CNN talking about how terrible the immigration system is? No. Because you know how easy it is to immigrate to Mexico? It's actually really hard. It's the same in Europe. You know, moving somewhere, they have language requirements. We don't have actually language yeah, we, requirements. We actually looked at exp- expatriating to uh, to Ireland we did just in long term as far as like when we turn, you know, 50, 55 – just liquidating everything and moving to Ireland. I will and kill you. The, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I can Skype. You'll find me at the bar. I can <laughs> Skype. But um, just expatriating to Ireland, and it is expensive. Yeah, it's very difficult. I mean, I could buy a house on the ocean for $180,000, but holy cow. <laughs> I mean, just to— Really? Oh, yeah. And there the issue is you're being granted Irish citizenship, which grants you access to the market for labor across the entire European Union. That's 28 Mm. countries. Yeah. So the laws are particularly stringent there. That's why in Austria it's very difficult. If I was just an economic migrant in Austria trying to – you know, get the job or trying to immigrate and get my visa, it would be impossible. Yeah. You need to prove that you have 15,000 euros, like $20,000 in your account ready to go. Yeah. I was lucky that I married an Austrian. <laughs> so I think anyone who's marrying an American, it's always all more it's a little bit easier. easier. All right. Serious um, question. Yep. When I divorced my wife, what was the website for Austrian women? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, I'm going. I'm going Colombian. I already figured that out. Looking for Austrian Tinder. Actually, I, I, actually, I'm going Colombian Tinder. I've already got a plan. So. Don't worry; these things are active all over the world. What, 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 what do you think of the European Union? I, I, there's a, there's a lot of people that I know who are very critical. I think the European Union is an interesting idea. I mean, look, this is an entire continent that was just. Demolished, and, and as we mentioned before, it was demolished after the Second World War. There were so many competing forces. I mean, you had fascists and communists 
real mm. ones, yeah. fighting in the street, shooting at each other, huge civil wars happening. I think it's interesting. The thing that people don't get about the EU and if they follow Nigel Farage, uh, who is a very well-known British politician, yep. his criticism is just like, this is not democracy. This does not follow democratic principle. And that's, I think, a valid point. Uh, I'm very biased because the European Union is very liberal, classical liberal, uh, meaning they want to actually streamline all the regulations. They want to make it easier for you to sell your products from Slovakia to Estonia to Ireland, sure. which I think is very good. There's a lot of things they don't do very well. Uh, immigration, I think, is, is one mm -hmm. of them. I think overall it's a very yeah, positive I, liberalizing force. I think the immigration part on Farage is that they've had such an influx. I mean – you take Germany alone. Germany has had uh, they had a, they had a million in, yeah, in less million, than a year, million, million and a half in the last year and a half, yeah. whatever. I mean, it is that is a huge surge to their social system. I mean, they just cannot mm -hmm. handle. I don't. I mean, you take America. I mean, we're having our max cap was one hundred four thousand people at the border. That's a lot of people. I could not imagine. Ha imagine we could having, accept way more. I think. What's no that? Doubt. We could accept way more, but but our process limits it. But yeah, also, I, I mean, I think the latest statistic I saw that came out about the Cato Institute was seventy or hundred and eighteen billion dollars is spent every year on uh, not not benefits, but the annualized cost of illegal immigration as far as uh, medical. Um, uh, Police calls. That would make sense. Et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. I mean, not saying Cato Institute, which I, I I really dig Cato Institute, but they're not you know saying that we need to build a wall. But I mean, they're just saying that hey, this is the annualized cost of illegal immigration: one hundred eighteen billion dollars. And the Cato Institute, uh, for listeners at home, is not the guy that used to live with O.J. Simpson. Is that correct? is that the same guy? Hope not. I don't know. But, um, you know, when we were in Ireland, we our, our tour guide, you know, um, here's what made me question the EU, not just because, it's, sure. you know, it's the um, coming of the uh, Antichrist or whatever. <laughs> Did you ever hear that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. One hundred percent. And oh, then yeah. once we went to that dollar, everybody's going to have the same coin. You haven't heard yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Wait, oh, that, that the European Union is one of the oh. one of the doomsday prophecies uh, that people read into the Book of Revelation is that when the Roman Empire comes back together, that's one of the signs the Antichrist yeah. is coming. Tinto, the ten toes of David, and the uh, basically oh, a lot of people yeah. thought the European Union coming oh, together okay. was the rebirth of the Roman Empire. Oh, okay. Don't worry, guys, this is running out of Belgium. <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on, that's even better. <laughs> No, but build a bear. Yeah. What? The Club of Rome. I don't know. I've lo I'm lost in my conspiracy matrix right now. I <laughs> that's can't that's low level. That's low level. Where, oh, are we, no. where are we going here? Oh, Ireland. So, you know, we were this uh, tour guy, you know, we're, yep. and um, one of the most interesting comments that he made during this whole whole session was, you know, we, we happen to, you know, I, I think it was me or another guy that we kind of got to know that was kind of the same philosophy. He said, all your roads are fairly new here. He goes, yeah, we've, you know, Ireland went under a um, huge construction mm -hmm. of um, our interstates in, or not interstates, whatever the highway system there, whatever the word terminology was. Motorways. Um, there you go, motorways. Um, in, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. And we're like, why? He goes, well, once we joined the EU, the EU dumped a ton of money into us. 
Yeah. We were we were a third world country before the EU. Mm-hmm. I mean, how would that make you feel if you were in Germany who was kind of the diamond in the rough in, in Europe and all of a sudden you're all your tax dollars going from German needs to Ireland. Now my name's McNeely. You can't get more Irish than that. I mean, as far as as far as a fast of you know uh, linguistics. But how, I mean, how would you go? How would you feel if you were a German or an Austrian or a Polish citizen that your tax dollars may be going to another country, you know, hundreds of miles away to do their infrastructure? I. I think they were pretty open to it because the markets opened up for their goods. That's one of the things that allowed the diamond in the rough that was Germany to really explode is because all of a sudden these markets that were uh, taxing their products to the point that they were having to compete with a localized product, all of a sudden those barriers were knocked down. They were able to get their goods and services into those markets. So the economy of Germany went up. So, yeah, they invested tax dollars through other places, but their coffers were refilled by the stuff going, the money coming in from what they sent out. So you're saying that Germany overtaxed their own citizens, therefore they were open to another economy being opened I'm, to help. But they don't overtax. I'm, Germany? No. They don't? No. Not, not compared to other countries. But what's the unemployment in Germany right now? Yeah, but... I, I'm just I'm curious. I mean, that's, that's a question, not like a sarcastic, sure, cynical. Pretty, unemployment's pretty low, like four percent. In in Germany, yeah, Austria, it's also very low, about three four percent, which is full em- employment uh, as far as the numbers go. Uh, I think there. I mean, I hate to go back to Hamilton, but this is the same argument. Wait, hold on. I, <laughs> this is the same argument that's being done about state debts and about what happens at the national bank and what happens uh, at the founding of the United States. How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore, and a Scotsman drop in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean? This is not a number one tune on Spotify. I'm just telling you. It's pretty high. All right. So, yeah, the, the argument there was, look, we need to be able to do this. We're going to be a strong country. And that is right, definitely. I mean, who do you think was making a lot of the asphalt and mixing the colors is German companies. I just want to kind of fill you in with a statistic. Uh Uh-oh. Germany is Mm 3.1% unemployment. It's even lower than I thought. Yeah. United States is 3.8. Yep. And France is 8.8. Yeah. France is another story, by the way. We didn't touch France. But didn't France take a lot of immigrants in? Um, I mean, what's what's causing the, the, the high... Unemployment, unemployment in France, in France. terrible policies. It's so centralized. They don't have federalism like we have in the well, U.S. Well, look at France. They're horrible people. Well, I'm just kidding. Come on. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of problems with France. A lot of it is there's not uh, institutional competition. That's what we have, right? If you build a factory in Virginia, you're like, man, I'm getting terrible tax rates. I'm going to go to Texas. Yeah, that's true. In yeah. France, it's like one tax rate entire country. Yeah. There's no competition there. Yeah. So everybody. Went so to what, if a, yeah, yeah. If, if if a place decides to build in Lyon, it's going to be the same as it yeah. was in Marcel. And the problem there is their unions are too powerful. Mm. Um, they have wait. I mean, they have strikes every day. You can't take Air France at all anymore because your flight's canceled. 
Are, uh, are, you, are you are you for or against unions? I think unions overall are important or good. Why, um, why explain why? I think having workers uh, be able to freely assemble, I think it's guaranteed by the Constitution. That no, they I, should I, be able I agree to do with that. that. I agree with that. Uh, I think where it runs problematic is is when you just have these kind of arbitrary debates that come up and just kind of halt the entire thing. Look, I, there's there's a place for that. Um, there's, I've been to, man, I was there in Michigan and Wisconsin when it came to the big union debates and the whole recall of Scott Walker, mm. the, go- the former yep. governor. That was a big deal. You know, what are the rights of is, unions? Is Wisconsin be- better now in 2019? Wholeheartedly. Oh, yeah. Really? That's the only reason Foxconn, I, I know this is a bungled deal uh, by yeah. the president. That's the only reason Foxconn even looked at Wisconsin. Yeah. It's because, well, you know, they got rid of this whole, th- with Act 10, with uh, getting rid of this like forced collection of dues. They've actually done a good thing. We can right. actually find like a workforce, you know, that we can pay. Well, the force collection dues has just been constitutionally upheld yeah, as far the, as that was the Janus case, exactly. which is that was incredibly huge. Uh, it's look not as big of a deal in North Carolina. We don't have as many no, unionized no, but, employees, but still though, it, you know, Texas. I mean, the school districts are heavily unionized there. So, yeah. you know, for example, you can be a janitor. You could, you, you, from now on, you can say, you know what, you're not going to take unions out of or union dues out of my paycheck because yeah. you don't represent me. Before mm. that, it was you, it was forced exactly. Yeah. And and you know, we think about you know California as the worst case scenario for many oh. people. <laughs> Austria is even worse with that. Everything is run by the unions. Really? If you have your income. Here in the U.S., your income is kind of set by market rate, how competitive you are, what's your education, You, you what's sell your, your labor. You sell it. In Austria, it's like, what job are you working in? What is your union? Okay, your salary is this much. That's I it. love how he goes to that accent when he's talking That's about exactly it. what it's like. Uh, and it's it's set everything by the unions. And all you need – look, just I, I can see why you're married. Not just because the beard. But the accent, yeah, they can't, they can't see that. <laughs> I'm trying to paint a picture like Bob Ross. <laughs> yeah, happy trees. I see, I see Adrian, Adrian Cronauer with a beard is what I see when I look at him. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's so much there, you know, and I think that's that's why it's great to be here. It's it's great to be back in in North Carolina and understand the differences and to you know to come here every once in a while. You know, there's so many great things that I see every time I come back. Uh, that really make me miss it and really be thankful that I grew up here and that I've been able to be a part of it. And it's that's why it's great to listen to you guys, uh, mm. to be able to carry this on, have great conversations, make people laugh. Uh, I, I actually have a lot of my friends that I've never talked to you guys about before, but they're like, man, have you listened to this podcast before? <laughs> you ever heard this thing, man? It's pretty good. They all had that accent. They you all know. do. Some people would take that offensive, but right. I'm like my people. By the way, I have a question. You, you mentioned on other uh, podcasts before that you have to be born to be a Southerner, right? You have to be what? Be you born? have to be born in the South to be a no, Southerner, there, there's right? A, there's a baptismal right. All right. When does this occur? At what year and what ba- date? Baptismal actually occurs the first time you either go through a Chick-fil-A mm-hmm. okay, or you ben, can also go through a Bojangles drive-thru. But never done that same date. <laughs> okay. If you and, and the thing is, if you actually do both within the same 24-hour span, yeah. you are like double Southern. You get, so, to, I mean, yeah. you get to go to Southern heaven. Yeah. Now, you, you you have not been to a Bojangles and a Chick-fil-A at the same, in the same day? Oh, of course I have. Okay, all right. I was now, I've actually sure. been, I've actually, <laughs> I I've actually had to go to a, do a Bojangles drive through for my daughter, and then wow. I go to Chick-fil-A for myself. Wow. All in the same 15 minutes. Oh, wow. So. You are. 
Wow. That that actually leads me to the last question. What, what there you, is a Southern Jesus. I'm just saying. Oh yeah. I'm not. I'm not trying to like you know. Uh, the Roman Catholics or the East Orthodox, whatever. I'm just saying there is a Southern he's got, Jesus. He's got his sleeves cut off. Yeah. Jean shorts. Tuxedo shirt. Right. Tuxedo shirt. Are yeah. they cut off jean shorts? Oh, of course. Full 100%. Blown, he's full he, blown jorts. They're not going to be, they're not going to be him. <laughs> jorts. He's holding a spork. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> he's digging into some sausage biscuits and gravy. Yeah. From Bojangles. Oh, 100%. Spork. Mm. Oh no! Can Jesus have the Bojangle biscuit southern and gravy? Jesus, can Southern but, Jesus have a country ham biscuit? But <laughs> and, and on over his shoulder, kind of etched out in the in the distance, uh-huh. there's a bottle of Buffalo Trace. You think so? Wow. I think so. So I'm just I'm just man, kind of throwing it. Up. Really see, you, you can't throw it up there in the front. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the people out there on the edge, the old booze drinking. Uh-huh. Do you think he has a little tattoo that says, I love mama? I think he does. Mm. I was getting ready to say that. He's got the heart the heart with the mom banner like going that. right there. Sorry, Jesus. I don't like that. Oh, God. He's like, woman? There you go. Oh, no, he's not going to. Yeah, woman at the well. I need you to come here. Um, <laughs> what are some of your things that you, when you go back to Austria, that you are absolutely going to miss most about? Concord, Old Spice, um, <laughs> cre- okay. uh, Crest, White uh, Toothpaste, okay. 3D. <laughs> no. And these are all available on Amazon.eu. <laughs> no, it ain't. <laughs> oh, right. we're, we, hey, we're going to Black Market uh, Expo here. So where should we send care packages? <laughs> yeah, that's a good call. So right to Vienna, right my Tooth, address. <laughs> toothpaste, toothbrushes, I mean, mouthwash. Pe- peanut butter. Peanut butter. Mm. Not peanut butter. Wait, for Do real? Do y'all have Vienna sausages there? In oh, Actually, question. first off, no. Ah! Uh, second thing is uh, people always talk about Vienna pastries and something. That's another thing we just don't have. Mm. It's <laughs> crazy. That the, I mean, there's a lot of places you go over Europe and they have American hamburger, right? They yeah, just have yeah, like yeah, the yeah. star and stripes thing. It's like, I've never seen this type of hamburger in my life. <laughs> right. <laughs> what is this? Try getting that in India, buddy. It's called so, yeah, <laughs> so what I'm going to – I mean, there's a lot. I think it, Concord specifically. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, the so, small town uh, yeah. saying hello. I mean, even before we, we started the podcast, I saw a family that I've known for many years just in the street. In Vienna, people are very ca- cold and dark. Mm. <sighs> Composure is. But why is that? It, it's just that the idea it's, – it's actually a very privacy-conscious uh, society. Mm. They – all the, the biggest regulations against Google Street View mm-hmm. happen to be in Austria. Really? So if you're, you know, if you go on Google Street View here in, in Concord, you see everything. Yeah, I mean, you almost see half inside the story. I can go inside your house and see you on the toilet. Almost, that's uh, crazy. That literally is the case. Yeah, that is not a pretty view of myself. Do you think that is a product of forty five, fifty years of living under, starting with the Nazis for a few years and then moving into communism? It is, and they were like, "Oh, you say the wrong thing, and but somebody's going to disappear." But is it a product of communism, Nazism, or is it a product of we're going to become a secular nation? Uh, you know, agnostic. Oh, because because there's there's a there's a great study out right now about the fall of Europe as far as religion. And Bro, don't, how, get, don't get on Austria, by the way. It's still very much a Christian Catholic state, though. But, but I understand uh, what you're but, saying. Yeah. Uh, this was this study was specifically with Finland and yeah. a lot of, a lot of the uh, Scandinavian nations. How a lot of these nations have abandoned church, abandoned mm-hmm. God, and how all of a sudden. Uh, they've become antisocial, become introverts. Uh, you know, so Austria, I don't know in particular. No, so, it's I mean, incredibly Catholic. It's about eighty-five percent Catholic, and the 
uh, government collects taxes from church residents, mm. church goers. Um, that's a part of law. So part of the Ooh. tithing. Yeah, part of tithing is, is prescribed is by law. law. So mm. it very, there is zero separation of church and state in Austria. That's very specific. Mm. Other states, Czech Republic, for instance, total atheist country. Like 85% of the people believe in zero God. So that's very different. Uh, but why, I mean, you guys are so close in proximity. I mean, if you if you were to take, you know, an overlay of the United States and place it upon Europe, yeah. I mean, Austria would be comparative to what what state you think here in the United States? Uh, meaning, if you if Austria was North Carolina, what would what would know, be Czech, Czech Republic? Republic? Yeah. Oh, I mean. Guys, I, I used to travel between uh, Prague and Vienna uh, for an entire year, twice a week, four hours on a train. Oh, so, wow. we're, we're, so we're looking at Georgia. It takes me an hour so to drive at, there. Yeah, so we're looking at oh, an hour to drive it there? It takes me an hour to drive to the train. All right, Republic. so we're looking at Concord to Gaston. To Greensboro. <laughs> to Greensboro, yeah. yeah. Wow. wow. And uh, the, the difference and the there. Cult, the cultures are so. Yeah. In the Czech Republic, you wow. had Soviet domination. Luckily, Austria was not under Soviet domination. Mm-hmm. They stayed until 1955 and then they left, um, thankfully. But in the Czech Republic, they stayed until 1989 and fall wow. off the wall and everything Just else. Just 39, the 39, 30 years. Oh, of, yeah. It changed everything. Wow. It changed everything. Mm. So Slovakia, Czech Republic, uh, you have the same in Hungary. Uh, the Iron Curtain was real. And, so, you know, for a lot of your older listeners, I mean, they remember this stuff. Younger yeah. people have no clue. I, I, I am old. Uh, the Iron know. Curtain, if I recall, was the Pittsburgh Steelers. Is that not? So that not was the in the early 70s. I don't remember that, but that was in it the was early a steel 70s. Curtain. Yeah. A steel it was curtain. steel curtain. So close. Was Iron mean, City mean Steel. So those close. boys, yeah. Okay. <laughs> they have an Iron City beer. Yeah. So that's why I related to Pittsburgh's yeah. the new hipster paradise. By Is the way. it really? Oh yeah. Oh man, I have, so, I have so many friends moving to Pittsburgh. So I should. So right now I should hedge all bets, cash out, and go open a granola bar in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, either that or a cereal shop. You're good to go, dude. Don't get me started. There used to be a cereal shop in Asheville, North Carolina mm-hmm. called Eatsies. Ooh, that's good. I love me some cereal. The manager told me not to come back after eating two boxes of Cap'n Crunch. I'm how much was no boxes? milk? Huh? And how do you have the top of your mouth still here? <laughs> I'm not saying I did. I okay. just it, it was Cap'n Crunch, and I hadn't. It was one of those nights I where you. I, yeah, I have a, you know, what led to the two okay? <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a little story. All right, all right. Here we go. It was 2004. <laughs> Jesus. I happened to be celebrating someone I knew, you yeah. know, about uh, bachelor party, mm. and we had gone out to said establishments with adult libations, and um, anyway, we ended up at Eatsy's, and I had a few adult libations, mm. and um, they happened to have. And I'm not a big cereal eater, cereal eater anymore, mm-hmm. but they happened to have peanut butter Captain Crunch. Oh. Okay. Let's just say you know those those bins. Have, you, you you know what I'm talking about the plexiglass yeah. bins yeah. that have the dispenser knob at the bottom. Mm-hmm. I ate almost two complete ones, and the the guy told me, "So sorry, we're we're out. You have to leave. We two 
just, Almost just two, two bowls or two containers? Two con- complete containers of the <laughs> okay. dispenser of the dispensers. I'm oh not my talking about, yeah. goodness! Oh my uh, those, I, peanut butter cabin crunch. Hey, buddy, I, I can speak from experience mm-hmm. because one of my first jobs in college was in the cafeteria at UNCC, mm-hmm. and one of my jobs was to fill up the cereal dispensers yeah, that all yeah, the yeah. potheads would empty yeah. on a regular basis. That's a and lot. They, it isn't a regular box of cereal that goes yeah. into those things. It's like a bag. Wow. All right, so you come in this like you dump from it. Sam's Club. Yeah, yeah, it's like a Sam's Club bolt. Bulk Costco buy bag, you know. It's like well, congratulations. I was, I was one of those sad potheads, and um, fruity pebbles and chocolate milk was my go-to. You know, I, I don't know why fruity pebbles and chocolate milk. It sounds disgusting now. Yeah. That'd be like, hey, you know what? I want a dozen raw eggs in a cup and a scoop of vanilla ice cream. You know, gross, but I've, that's what it was. I've done beer and Cheerios before. I've done beer. And, mm. I've done beer and. I've done beer and um, kicks <laughs> before. <laughs> My favorite is Golden Grams and chocolate milk. Oh, that's good. That does sound good. That's a life changer. Man, speaking of that store, there's a great spot in the most hipster part of London in Chelsea. They had a cereal shop, very similar, called Cereal Killer. Mm, I see what he did there. A, Old bowl, Jack the a bowl of cereal cost you 18 pounds. That's $25. Whoa. Mm. You went there and you got your bowl of cereal, and people were just like. Licking it up. This place was full. This place had a line out the door. For twenty five Go back to our original part of the opening conversation. It's all about regulation. <laughs> so you can't buy Lucky Charms at the store, or you can't. No, no, no. You can. It's just that this business has has made it so popular to eat your Lucky Charms, your Captain Crunch, your Reese's Puffs. By the mm-hmm. way, oh yeah, that people are willing to pay twenty five yeah. U.S. dollars. To that, get their bowl well, in this restaurant, go to not, a store, bro. It's, it's about it's about being seen. Not the scene. But is it not expensive to do business in, in London, though? Is it not good business? I mean, is it expensive to do business? I mean, in general, sure. Nah, but people are willing to yeah, pay. Yeah, I'm saying they're yeah they're paying that money to be seen eating oh, yeah. at that yeah. place. Okay. It's not to pay the cereal. Check me on Instagram. Hashtag cereal killer. You know what? I can pay for a whole our whole Ireland trip. We talked about. Mm-hmm. We will just load up with Lucky Charms and be like, "What's up?" <laughs> in Dublin, and just yeah, yeah, we'll have eat a trench it. coat. Eat them, eat them out of my trench coat. That's there that'd be go. a good one. There you go. One last question: You mentioned you kind of briefly talked about conspiracy theories don't get you started. Yeah, as an investigative reporter, sure. What's who killed Kennedy? Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. Let's break you in here. There's a, I mean, there's a lot written on that. And uh, one of my influences that I really appreciated and you almost mentioned was Jesse Ventura. Mm, uh, yeah, great, yeah, great yeah. governor of the state of Minnesota. Former part of the Reform Party of which Ross Perot uh, started. His son in, actually has a great candidate. show right now on uh, Buzz, Buzz All. Are you sure work. it's not on RT? Could be on RT now. Yeah, I can't watch RT anymore. I, RT, I, RT way, is infuriating, by the way. Yeah, I mean they used to have a lot of libertarians on there. Yeah. That's why it was very popular. Uh, but it's still look it is run by the Russian state. These are not what, what like can angels. You expect? Yeah, it's not angels. <laughs> um, it's actually the Mueller report. Yeah, it, it's actually in the Mueller report, page one one three. Just go in there and look. Oh, it's in got there, it. that reference is right beside Southern Fried Philosophy podcast, best podcast in the universe. It's right oh, there, right page one one four. Right, jab in the eye. Is that, is that, is that yeah. the one with all the celebrities doing the live read of the Mueller report? Oh. I'm pretty sure this? it's in There's there. There's like a live dramatic read. It's yeah. awesome. Just check wow. the IMDb trivia. It's okay. right in there. Mm. I promise. 
Um, That's accurate. What, what are some of the conspiracy? Do you subscribe to conspiracy theories? Well, I don't know about subscribe, one? but let's just say I've explored and okay. researched and just like, huh. Okay. Hmm. Well, I think the biggest one is the inner earth. Have you guys heard this one? Oh, well, yeah. wait, what inner earth. Actually whole, there's actually a whole novel written on that. That could be. Inner earth is the idea that uh, essentially there's no such thing as the pole, the South Pole, North Pole. And then if you are to go there, there's actually a civilization inside of the hollow earth. Wow. Um, I think this is one of the more interesting. I mean, look, this is all this very illustrative. Is this mole people? Fun. Is this where we're going with that? A more advanced civilization. Wow. I think that's good. Wow, more advanced. I yeah. think global warming is their fault. Climate change. <laughs> could be. Could be. They, they, they're yeah. melting the ice caps. They, they, got, they got barbecue running 24-7, <laughs> these guys. What do they think they're doing? They're pulling the heat right out of the core of the earth. I think, I think, that, that, a gun. I think that one is at least just interesting because it's out okay. there. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot that... Tough people talk about the water. What's in the water? Mm-hmm. Fluoride in the water. Yeah. There's, there's a couple Yay, of conspiracy frogs. guys. <laughs> Making the freaking wrong. Me. There's a lot of that. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Any, the, any that has to, to, to give a little credence to the yeah, inner earth theory, mm-hmm. uh, Jules Verne's oh. actually wrote Journey to 10, the Center. 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea? Or Journey, 20, uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth. He actually mm. wrote that before that. Um, I mean, there's. The inner earth, middle earth theory has been around forever. There's actually a, a well-known American um, explorer who said that he went to the the caps and actually, instead of being, you know, the the you know Santa Claus North Pole elves mm-hmm. hanging out at the North Pole, but there was actually the Earth was, had a uh, the overflow of, of water was flowing through the Earth into the hmm. center of the Earth. I'm not saying it's true because of uh, Google Earth he and, some, you know, uh, like common sense. He had some Eskimo peyote up there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, I'm not saying he wasn't for full legalization of CBD <laughs> and marijuanas, but I'm just saying that, or, you know, mushrooms. But I'm just saying that, you know, the, yeah. this isn't a new theory. I mean, there, yeah. you know, this is. There, there's a lot of conspiracies around just government programs that are kind of mm. declassified. Mm. Uh, I mean, paper clip, paperclip, paperclip, there's yeah. Project Bluebeam. Uh, there's many more. And these are ones that people investigate and talk about for many years. Gary Webb uh, was an mm. investigative journalist. Uh, there's, there's actually a movie, I think, Kill the Messenger. Yeah, uh, that's very good yeah. on this. <laughs> and he was talking about the drug dealing that was going on in the 1980s, crack cocaine and things, mm-hmm. that was actually being funded by uh, the Central Intelligence Agency, due to their connections with Colombia and trying to infiltrate the politics there. Free, he, freeway Rick Ross. He was called yeah. a conspiracy theorist, yeah. crazy guy. I mean, he was working for the local Seattle newspaper, and it turned out it was all true. Uh-huh. And there were members of Congress. I mean, you even had Al Sharpton back in the day, when, you know, when he was 800 pounds, who uh-huh. said, guys, this is terrible. Look what the government's doing. Uh, that was called a conspiracy theory for so long, and it mm-hmm. turned out to be very true. Yeah, I actually look at the document. Or, uh, there's a book written by uh, written by Rick Ross, not the yep. current rapper, but the original. Oh, see, I was thinking Free, he's called Freeway Rick Ross. He yep. was actually one of the ones actually written in the indictment for the 1984 <laughs> affidavit into the to where the CIA was actually indicted for actually running crack and crack cocaine yeah. and cocaine into the inner cities of Los Angeles. So this was huge for the black community at the time. Cause, cause oh, it, it, devast- was, it devastated Los Angeles. It was. And it was actually, I mean, all the people who are in Congress today, Maxine Waters, I mean, Charlie, Charlie Rangel, I think, is out. But yeah. they, they, would, they went on the Montel Williams show or went all these shows and talked about it. Yeah. I mean, now it's kind of forgotten. But, I mean, this was a way that the government illegally raised money 
to, I mean, go to back to Iran Contra. I mean, that's, that's it, all there are many funded, people. It's funded. It's, it's all about that. It's about the wars yeah. in Central America. I mean, there's a lot of dirty stuff. Mm. I mean, that, that's why we always talk about doing stuff at the local level. This is something you can control. Yeah. When you're talking about dark intelligence agencies and where money's going. Illuminati. Look, you and I yeah. and the Southern Fried Philosophy podcast cannot change this. No. But we can make people aware. We can write about it. Uh, we can talk about it. But we can affect the local, local level, though. And yeah, by I gosh, mean, we can get breweries here in Concord. Well, that's what happened. Yeah, good <laughs> breweries. And that's what happened with that Tom Cruise movie uh, when it was uh, Bill Clinton who called in the the pardon. I think it was called American Pilot or something like this. Hmm. The Tom Cruise mm-hmm. movie yeah, about yeah, yeah. the drug run. It's and Maverick. Out of uh, whatever it was. It was actually, great, it was a, actually a great movie, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the, a real story. Um, pilot uh, was caught. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Pilot was pilot was uh, contracted by um, you know Colombian drug lords to run uh, drugs over the uh, United States border and airplanes, and basically he had so much money that he was burying it in his yard, and rats were getting into it, and I'm talking hundreds of millions of dollars. Oh wow! And, Just like yeah. narco, same thing. And yeah. they were based out of. Uh, was it Little Rock, Arkansas? Or no, it was like Mensa or one of these Mensa, towns. Yeah, Mensa, Mensa uh, Arkansas. There's like official local officials who go missing. Yeah, dead. I mean, Mensa, oh, Arkansas wow. all of a sudden had Bill like. calls in with the pardon. Yeah. Mensa, huh. Mensa has like, you know, maybe 2,600 people total in the downtown, but they have 2,608 banks <laughs> <laughs> because wow, this one guy <laughs> had so much money he was deposited. So that's Tom Cruise. Wow. And that was after he was driving a race car in Daytona. Days before of or after he goes to Church of Scientology? Mm. Don't know. Well, the movie was made after, but the events happened before. Okay. Mm. I got you. I'm not trying to do like this whole time matrix thing yeah. on you, but I'm yeah. just, yeah, I'm kind of stating what's happening. I got you. Um, Yael, where can people find you? Where can people connect sure. with you if they want to keep following you and, and books and all that kind well, of stuff? Well, you got me on the you got me on the tweeters. Yeah, uh, Yael Y A E L O S S. Uh, very easy to find. Guys, I'm a very Googleable person. I've got a very odd name. <laughs> sure, uh, it's a female Jewish name and a German last name. So you'll find me. And uh, I'm all over the internet, but primarily my work is as a consumer activist, consumertoycenter.org. Okay. He is not part of the Cabarrus County Detention Center uh, inmate list. I did look that up. Oh, really? <laughs> Just Man, see. we used to do this in high school all the time. <laughs> did you? Just random names or real names? Well, it was like, man, I tell you, my buddy, I think one time he got arrested. Ron Let's look Smith. Yeah. <laughs> Let's look at it. Oh, my God. That's fantastic. All right. Well, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. Cheers, you're, guys. You're heading back when in a couple of weeks? No, I head back next week. I got to oh, wow. fly back to Austria, but I'm, I'm probably back in North Carolina in, in August or something. I got a couple of conferences I got to speak right. at. So. Okay. Maybe we can SFP, have uh, SFP Austria 2020. Oh, that's go. cool. That's a good oh, idea. Yeah, yeah. You like That'd that? That would be fun. Dude, that would, that would be awesome. <laughs> Uh, we, you guys come on over. Can you yeah. get away from? Can you get away from your wife that long? I, it's just I can get away from the wife. I just don't know if I can get away from work one of these days. Well, you know what? I'll I'll FaceTime with you. <laughs> I'm just, no, I'll take one for the team. All right, there you go. There we go. You're IT, right? You can work anywhere there's internet. You know that, right? Yeah. They're not going. They're, they're not going to say, "Hey, he join the co-working oh, revolution." <laughs> He's using Austrian internet. How dare he? <laughs> That's a good point. All right. Mm. Hey, we appreciate you tuning in as always. Please go to our Facebook page at Southern Fry Philosophy. I go to our website at SouthernFryPhilosophy.com. I don't care where you listen to the podcast to. It could be on uh, Mars, Moon, the Moon, 
the earth. Just go to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, Spotify, wherever. Just go there, subscribe, give us a like. A, uh, uh, I can't talk with this distracting music. I'm sorry. Music. I'm sorry. Wherever you listen to a podcast, <laughs> go subscribe, give us a like, a review. Uh, just, yeah, we appreciate the reviews. That's how we uh, yeah. get moved up on the uh, old algorithms. Um, you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at uh, SFP Radio and where else? Um, again, just check out our Patreon link at uh, patreon.com forward slash SFP radio. Even you could be a guest on the show. Hey, we pre- hey uh, I, I know I've mentioned the last probably four or five uh, podcasts. If you can't go to your local uh, um, donate uh, life or uh, website or your organization. If you can, I don't care what country you're in. I don't care what state you're in, but if you can just check out your donate life uh, website or uh, Facebook page, or social media site. Uh, I have received an or uh, a heart donation from uh, a generous uh family and I just you know there's so many people out there currently waiting for an organ so if you can't just make sure you sign up for there uh, check out your local DMV sign up there but anyway hashtag donate life I'm sure to redirect you there and I I just appreciate my donor family every day yep Um, guys as always keep looking up 